The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. We are live here in the studio for three wonderful hours of gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I don't know what she's taking, but I want some of it. Yeah, yeah. no <laughs> doubt, man. She is awake this morning. I love it. Hi, there. I'm Jim Crowder, the other guy. The and other I'm, one. I'm a retired nurseryman, and I am the um, administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and Mm-hmm. So, speaking of that, something off Facebook page. Ask her if I could say. Yeah. This lady, Charmaine, she just had a massive tulip poplar removed from the front of her house. I need to go give her a she hug. Said, Wait. She said, Kenneth. Eat your heart out. <laughs> that is not right. Uh, <laughs> that is not right. I know. I, I couldn't wait to talk about that this yeah. morning. <laughs> so she came to her senses and finally got this thing down. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Here, here you go. Here's a picture. I even saved it. Oh, it's a big old man. crane. See how big your tree must be if you have to have a crane to take. Well, big trees usually need a crane, but. And that kind of looks like my house, too. The same setup. <laughs> well, is the tree still there then? Mine? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get down while you were on vacation or anything? You know, she didn't have to rub it in, though. Yeah, she did. Oh, I yeah, love she did. it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> well, you know what? I can't wait till I take some pictures just like this and post them on Facebook. Right. You know? <laughs> He's looking at it like just... Oh, why oh, yeah. is it not me? Mm-hmm. And look how pretty it looks where there's just a little ground-up <laughs> sawdust left on the ground. <laughs> That's pretty. And yeah. it's not that I don't have anything personal against most tulip poplars, which is the state tree. I just have the one that's in my front yard. <laughs> <laughs> we've had we've got this thing going back and forth where every time I go out, I look at this thing like, mm, you know, one of these days I'm gonna get my wish. Yeah. About yeah. three years of firewood there. I, just, I, I was thinking. I'll give it away. <laughs> you know? So, come again. You know. Let's just have a big bonfire party. That sounds good, mm-hmm. too. You know? But this thing, they're, they're messy. They drop stuff all year long. They, they you know, honeydew, the little sticky honeydew. Mm-hmm. Uh, everywhere. Oh, uh, so you it, get that when you park you under it? You got bugs on it. Get bugs, rid of it. Uh, <laughs> bugs on it. I mean, Jim, this thing is, and it's getting bigger by the day. And I'm telling you, it, it, you know, that's the problem with people planting trees where they shouldn't be planted. <laughs> right, right. You know, but, but that's a regulation. You're you know, right. to buy the house. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And then the people putting the tree in don't really consider what it could be. No. no and we used to do a lot of... Um, starter homes you know mm-hmm. inexpensive homes and you had to put in 13 shrubs and a tree of at least a one and a quarter inch yeah. diameter 13 shrubs <laughs> uh-huh yeah. 13 you know no soil prep no yeah. you dig a hole put the plant in and throw a little mulch on top they yeah. wouldn't pay for any soil prep and it looks good when you pull yeah. up mm-hmm. in the driveway and go hey i want this house look at that pretty tree yeah. right there you know so some of these houses we would do for 125 exactly uh-huh. you know and thinking they're paying for these shrubs for the next 30 years yes. yeah that's true <laughs> in fact you know my good friend i've told y'all this story lived uh, on cherry hollow cove okay mm-hmm. well the builders thought it'd be really good to put a cherry tree in everybody's front yeah. yard well, I promise you, about a year down the road, there was not one cherry mm-hmm. tree left in front right, of these houses. Right. Not not one, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's like the Bradford Pear uh, living place estate. I don't know. Bradford, 
And there's no Bradford pears yeah. now. <laughs> that then people probably wonder why. I wonder why they called this Bradford pear. I wonder why they called that Cherry Road. Yeah, no doubt. I thought you know when I was up in um, what East Tennessee this week, I thought I would see on my phone where Memphis was getting some rain, Mm-mm. and I got home Mm-mm. and I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. I mean, it's so it's drier now than it's been all year. Mm-hmm. So, needless to say, y'all know what I did yesterday. I had Water. the garden hose out. And I'm like, my, and this little hydrangea I've got. <laughs> This thing, it might come back, it might not. You know, I mean, it. W- I mean, everything was bone dry. Mm-hmm. And see, if you'd water that tree, it wouldn't drip all, drop stuff all the time. Not going to happen because most of the roots, you know, are not in your yard; they're over in a neighbor's yard. Yeah. So you've got to water over there. Well, that's kind of scary because my driveway's between <laughs> us and them. Yeah. You know, and it's got to be out under the street. Too, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That no, I'm I'm kind of, I'm watering just the the. Things that I like. Let me mm-hmm. put it that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When it gets down to this, I think we're three inches under now for rain for the year. But I, I'm serious. I got to be much farther than that because mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten a lot of what everybody else got. Ooh. But I was getting these updates where, you we know, with rain. Memphis weather. Yeah. That y'all were getting rain, light rain, you know, rain starting in so many minutes. And I was like, what? okay, we're good. The only update I kept getting was pollen alert, pollen alert, pollen alert. So y'all didn't get any <laughs> rain here then? No. Okay. I got. I think it was right at a tenth of an inch. Oh well, okay. You yeah. know, which all it did was settle the dust. Yeah. So, that doesn't. That doesn't even yeah, count. I mean, you know, I had deciduous azaleas that I planted this year that didn't. Re- they were wilting and they didn't recover. It was that little oh. rain. <laughs> you know. Well, I'm tell you what. We took a little ski lift uh, up the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know, you first you get on this gondola, this encapsulated, and you go up the mountain. Then that you from there you get on a uh, whatever. <laughs> then you get on this ski lift that you're sitting there and go up mm-hmm. the rest of the mountain. But y'all know it was pretty cool. It what was cool about it? Mm-hmm. All of the the you know it's like a path cut through the mountain yeah. straight up to the right. top. But if you look down, there were nothing but wild ferns mm-hmm. down below you. Ooh, you know, nice. no one had been walking on this uh-huh. thing because you're riding above it. And then to the left and to the right, kind of growing out of all the trees on the sidelines were these massive rhododendrons. Ooh, beautiful. And I'm just thinking, man, if we could just... And you're in the mountains, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you need a hill Where's... like that to grow those right. rhododendrons. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so I started doing some reading about, you know, the heat-tolerant rhododendrons last night. Uh, because, man, I'm telling you, I was pretty inspired about the way they looked. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm slapping myself in the face last night. No, 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 you crazy idiot. Right. They don't grow around here. Mm-hmm. And I already know that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'd argue that. I know, <laughs> but I mean, overall, Jim, they don't grow around here. But the, uh, they were saying that the Southgate varieties That's right. mm-hmm. uh, are the varieties mm-hmm. that can take a lot more heat than just your old-fashioned right. rhododendron. Nice. But I know for a fact that even with the Southgate variety, if you're going to try to plant a rhododendron around here, it still better be one of those where you don't even dig a hole, really. You just set the thing on the ground, and you pile dirt and mulch around it. That's how high you're planting this thing, to ensure that you have good drainage, because that's the key. You know, they want to stay moist, but they sure don't want to stay uh, wet. So yeah, I got one <clears throat> one of the Southgate series before they were even named. Flowerwood was selling them under numbers, like 9620 and that sort of thing. So. I got a robot. Yeah, Yeah. I got one from them, and it lived for about 10 years. Really? Uh, Yeah, and it did great. Bloomed its little heart out until the November 19 freeze Mm. when, you know, everything was still green, and it got froze to death and didn't come back. 
So, um, but so it, it did great. Yeah. Really? So you've done this? Yeah. Uh, Southgate series is great. In fact, I still have the white Southgate in a container that I've had for 15 years. Okay, I'm coming over then. Yeah. 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 You so know, it blooms, if, blooms great in the spring, you know. Remember spring. that place that's on um, pa- Park that had all the rhododendrons growing there? Oh, yeah, right in Germantown. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can't think of the guy's I name. I haven't but, been yes. by there in forever, ever. Yeah. I wonder. When he was still alive, I went in there, and we t- I took some cuttings of some of the things that he got trying to basically trying to identify them because he had kind of lost the names on mm-hmm. some uh hmm. and, and that was a great gift when he gave it to the city of germantown yeah so is that something that we're still not going to see in in mass plantings around here no, because they're just so potentially you, problematic yeah you you're going to have to do some some real soil work and get yeah. them up so that they drain uh better than uh, normally would but um, there's no reason why you can't grow the Southgate series here. So if you know they're very resistant to Phytophthora, mm-hmm. so uh, right. we, we don't see the root rot in them like you had. But uh, you're right; it did say that, Jim. Yep. You're exactly right. Yeah. So I plant. guess if you know what you're getting into and you really know how to prepare to p- before you plant one of these mm-hmm. things, you might be able to get away with it. Yeah, and they got to have some sun, <coughs> yeah. or they won't bloom well. Yeah, uh, you know? high high shade is mm-hmm. what you need. So. But, I mean, I'm telling you guys, I mean, just seeing these things grow out of the side uh, of this woodland area. And they, the ones I were looking at, they were six, eight foot tall. Yeah. You know, they were massive. Uh, but beautiful foliage on I'm thinking, man, you know, just because I'm not used to seeing something, I guess, I want it. Yeah, right. See, I was going to say, that's what happens with all the traveling that we do and other people do. We always see stuff that's <coughs> so cool that we want in our, our zone. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. To, I didn't know about the Southgate series for the rhododendrons, so mm-hmm. I'm thinking that could be a thing. And you could do them in containers, too. Yeah, there are five colors, I believe. Yeah, uh, all good. like brandy, breezy, you know, things like that. But they're, uh, they're, they're really spectacular. Now, what about containers like Aveda said? Well, I mean, sure, I've got the white one. It's been growing in a container for... I, Probably 15 years now. No, I like well, I'm feeling better. Yeah. It, it was one also that didn't have a name when I got it. It was still a number. <laughs> you know? All right. Speaking of numbers, y'all give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. I know you're probably sleepy trying to figure out even where your phone is. That's all right. 901 901- Two six zero five nine two six, or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, which a lot of people do. And if mm-hmm. you miss all of this, guys, you can always go back at your convenience and listen to the podcast, uh, CameronRadio dot com. So yeah, yeah we've got all bases covered. The fa- the Facebook page that Jim's administrator of, creator of, um, that gives you great information too. So it just kind of goes along with everything we're doing here. Yeah, and let me say this one more, just one more thing on the rhododendrons we were talking about. Is you know they are. I guess azaleas are classified in the same genus, they are, right? They are rhododendrons. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, it said, Jim, you know, it, they need good light, like you were talking about, to really bloom the way you would want them to. Uh, but that doesn't mean in the afternoon sun. In fact, just like regular azaleas, old-fashioned azaleas, if you put them out there where they get just too much sun, you have a really good chance of getting lace bug because the plant is weakened. Uh, and the same thing with the rhododendrons. And so they are susceptible to lace bug, just like azaleas are. You can get spider mites, just like you can on azaleas. So it's almost like you treat them just like an old-fashioned azalea, except 
you better even have even better drainage. So yeah, and and they will. They're very very drought tolerant, which is kind of cool. I've uh, you know kind of forgotten about mine once or twice and let it get dry and the leaves curl up and you think oh yep, that's, that's toast it. yeah hit them with water and in about two hours they're back plump and healthy again look just fine so mm, okay yeah. well just something to think about guys yeah. maybe uh. you want more challenges to your challenging garden as it is really put a rhododendron yeah I mean because <laughs> I've heard so many stories about yeah. people trying have, to grow them I have the rhododendron I bought from you yeah oh, that's right. that has the little purple flower mm-hmm. uh, right off hand I can't think of the name of it but it's uh, it's done quite well yeah um, and I did lose Yay. this year with that freeze. It lost a lot of its foliage, but it mm-hmm. didn't lose any wood. Huh. So it has leafed out probably 50% of where it was, but it, you know, I'm about to move it anyway over to Christie's house. Yeah. So. Well, that took it pretty well. And I guess with the newer varieties anyway, it's the challenge is lessened. Mm-hmm. Less. Yeah. Lessened? Yeah. Less. Less. Yeah. But you know how, but we still love things that we don't typically see around here. And that's just always, mm-hmm. it's going to be that way. You go up north and you see these beautiful blooming lilacs up there. Even though we we can still grow some lilacs around here, there again, you know, I'll, we want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, people from the north come down south. If they see these beautiful crepe myrtles, they I want, want them. them. Yeah. In fact, I remember actually tying a crepe myrtle on top of a guy's truck, okay, or van, if you will. Really? Yeah, and he was heading up north, and I'm like, well, first of all, it's going to have wind burn before you even get out of the parking lot. <laughs> It's never going to make it yeah. just because of the travel and where it is tied up. I don't care. I've got to have oh one. Word. I said, uh, all right, man, let's do it. I sure wish I knew the outcome of that. No, <laughs> it's not going to be good. Whether it even made it, didn't get off, fall off the van. I mean, I'm sure I can see him on the interstate just flying down the interstate for 800 miles with this great myrtle tied uh-huh. to the top. <laughs> never seen anything like that before. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, But that's my point, though. We mm, still want things yeah. that we typically don't normally naturally see. So well, That's right. My garden is, you know, heavily tropical <sighs> because I like sago palms uh-huh. and other palms and flowering vines like... like um, Bougainvillea? Yeah, yeah, and Mandevilla. And, Mandevilla. So, you know, you always want what's different. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got... Uh, Armadillas. Congratulations. Thank you, Jim, very much. I thought I'd get that. They are that. such cool animals. They are. Yeah, they are. But but the little holes they leave behind is just not so cool. Mm-hmm. Got back in town, went in the backyard as I was doing my watering, as I was telling you, hand watering, flooding everything because it was bone dry. And back there where the mimosa tree came down and it's been, you know, cut and it's gone. Uh, there's a bed back there, and that's where I've got the best soil on my properties because that's where I always dump my ground-up leaves. Mm-hmm. I dump my grass clippings back there, and the soil is just beautiful, I'm telling you. Well, of course, right behind that bed are the woods, mm-hmm. okay? And I don't know why to this day it's where two fences come together, and there's a gap right there that I've never closed up. So every varmint, I don't care if it's a lion, a cougar, <laughs> armadillos, whatever, they can come right through that little gap. Okay, so I'm back there watering y'all, and it looks like something has rooted my backyard in that area. I'm like, what? And of course, it's an armadillo. So I'm like, okay, do I want to sit up all night with a flashlight and a you know a, a pellet gun and shoot this thing? Do he I want to try to laugh put at out? you with a pellet gun? I know. Just That's why they got that plated on off that and get you. <laughs> or do I want to put up a trap against the fence? You know, they're just almost blind as a bat, so they'll just kind of wander themselves into the trap. Yeah. You know, look, oh, okay, I'm trapped. Um, 
but then, you know, or I could use like castor oil. They're, again, the same thing that we use for moles and voles, the granulated or liquid castor oil. Just spray that back there or put it down dry and water in because I know they don't like castor oil. And then I was thinking, okay, maybe some Cody urine mm-hmm. or maybe all of the above. Right. But, y'all, I've got to do something about this thing digging back there. It is it is, it is made a mess I back see, there. You, that's You did it. I mean, you said yourself yeah. it's the best soil you've got. Which therefore is going to have worms and all kinds of <coughs> good Delicious. stuff in it. Okay, you but just that's something I created. And he should it. take advantage of it. Well, okay, <laughs> or maybe just close the gap. Well, I thought about that, Veda, but that's where if I've got like bigger sticks mm-hmm. and everything, I'll just kind of go through the gap and just throw them back yep. in the woods. And you know, I never throw anything back there other than organic material. But it's just a way, easy way for me to get rid of debris that I don't want. Yeah, I can see that, too. Very convenient. But I think I'm going to have to do like a little slide door yeah. or something back there just to keep <laughs> these varmints out of there. I can't believe you went all this time without having so many issues. Do uh, they not pick up sticks at your house with a, you know, on your regular sanitation services? Jim, I'm talking about the little limblets and twiglets that come out of the tulip popper in the front yard. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Those are the ones I'm talking about. You know, you can get one of those trash cans, put them in. See, you hear that. <laughs> but it's just so easy for me to scoop them up, get them all together, run to the back, well, walk to the backyard. I just and I, just just go through the gap there and just throw them back in the woods. But I remember Carl's Castle place out there on somewhere. He never threw away anything. I mean, everything that he ever had was still <laughs> yeah. on his property. And at the back of the nursery lot, there was uh, a stick pile. Let's call it. That was like eight feet tall. I'd be doing the Went same like thing. A hundred feet across there, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and everything that he ever grew that died went in that pile. Yeah, you know? and I bet I'd in be the doing middle the same of thing. it was so was such good dirt. I mm-hmm. bet. Fact, in the middle it, of it, and it caught water during the spring. You know, ducks came in and landed on it. It was that that much. Good and Lord. In fact, the the guy who was in charge of mosquito control for the city of Memphis bought a special gun that fired BT pellets so that he could fire it up in the air and cover that. And he bought it for his property. (laughs) Now, that's a little extreme, okay? And I don't want this big brush pile, Mm -hmm. mosquito-laden thing out there in my yard, so I just go back in. So you put it on the back side of your fence. Back in the woods, yeah. It's breaking down. That's what you're doing. You're contributing to nature. It feels good. It's just... Throw it back there and just know it's turning into good soil. That's, a, that's what's on my mind, Do you ever go back there Vader. and dig some soil out? Like yeah, somebody's great-grandchildren will enjoy that. <laughs> yes, they right. will. <laughs> but I tell you, for people that complain about varmints, honestly, you know, there's all kind of varmints out there. We know that. But for people that have had armadillos digging, rooting around back there, I mean, I feel their pain, I'm telling you, because it is – I should have taken a picture and shown it to you. I mean, it's not like – you know, I've seen places where they stick the little snout in there and make a little mm-hmm. indention – no, these things are digging. I mean, I've got so many holes back there. It is pathetic. But it's, it's I mean, I get it. They're just making a living also, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to have to do something. I'm either going to use, I think, the uh, the castor oil. I think I'm going to try it first. And if that doesn't work, I'll uh, try the, the coyote urine, granulated. Well, I was thinking, like you, I'd probably do them both at the same time. But that mixture smell might not be so good. For the neighborhood. And if all else fails, Vade, I'm going to do what you said. Maybe just close the gap in the fence, you know, <laughs> and figure something else out. God. I don't we'll blame you, though. It's convenient, though. Oh, that's, you know. that's the whole point. Right. Just the convenience of it. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. 
Armadillas. But there's always armadillo stew. <laughs> armadillo can meat. Mm-hmm. Just don't use the feet, and you're okay. Don't oh, they carry a disease? Yeah, the anyway. feet is where leprosy is is oh. in their in their feet. So. Well, I'll keep that in mind, Jim. Yeah, a, a small percentage of them carry leprosy. Well, I'm not so. touching any of them, so yeah. I'm I had sure not to eat it. I had one when I was a child, briefly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've had somebody, every other kind of vomit. Some, yeah. Somebody brought one to to school. I think I was in third grade or something like that. And uh, they got real concerned because nobody could get it to eat anything. So I just walked over to the cage and took some uh, somebody's ground beef they had, and I got it to eat. So they let me take it home because oh. I was successful <laughs> in feeding it. Your well, mom was so proud. You know, well, my dad wasn't very. He <laughs> 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 went back to school the next day. <laughs> Jan Childers, she texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page that our neighbor has armadillos in her yard, and we just asked her very politely, keep them over there, please, you know. Lord, I get it. I understand. Trust me, I do. First time I've ever had the armadillos. I've had every other kind of varmint because of the woods back there, skunks and everything else. But when first... did armadillos show up in in the Memphis area? Have they always been no, here? No, we, we were always told yeah. that the Mississippi River would keep That's them away from us. Well, yeah. one of them it clearly crossed they, the they bridge. Mo- they moved north from down Louisiana way. I uh, came up through Mississippi. I think the first one I saw here may have been 25 years ago uh, or so. Because we were supposed to be too cold for them. Yeah, right. Right. Okay, y'all, hang on. We've got great gardening advice up next. You're listening to KWAM. Glad we can join you today. We've got lots of gardening going on. We're going to talk about slime flux during the 8 o'clock hour. Just, One of my favorite mm. subjects. It, did, it didn't even sound right. No, it, it sounds cool. Slime <laughs> flux. Yeah. Just makes you visionize, visionize all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And it's different from alcoholic flux. What do you mean? Wait, ah, see, I've never even heard of that. Or, yeah. or, okay, well, we're going to get into that. The difference in slime flux an alcoholic flux. So, alcoholic flux is on a tree, right? Not a person. No, these are both tree diseases. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that one. Huh. Me neither. And I just read a little bit on slime flux a couple of weeks ago, just seeing if anything was new, but I think I fell asleep when I was reading, so... Well, the main new thing is, you know, we used to tell people to drill a hole in the tree and drive a little pipe up in there mm-hmm. so it would relieve the pressure and let this stuff drip out on the ground. Uh, well, somebody actually did some research found that that's really not the best. And thing that's what I've always heard. So yeah. you said around the eight o'clock hour, Jim, we're going to yeah, we're divulge gonna cover into that. that. We're going to get into the the new science behind it and what you need to do or not need to do. So the well, more you know, the less you know. Isn't that the truth? I said that's the advantage of being retired. I can sit around and read all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. well, see, I can too, but I never remember what I read. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I can crazy. remember that. It's just you guys' names I have trouble right. with. <laughs> I just forget to read totally. Now, what about <laughs> boxwoods, guys? I've got some, in this case, wintergreen boxwood. They've been there 20-something years, okay? And they're like huge beach balls now. I mean, they're rounded, of course, and they're, you know, three foot tall and three foot wide. And I need to get out there today with a pair of clippers and trim these things. I'm just mm-hmm. trying, I always try to keep them just manicured. You know, Jim, yeah. there we go with the, the beach balls right. again. Um, so you're like talking trim versus just a sheer, versus 
shaping. I'm going to shape them. So you're going into it a little more than just Well, the new them. growth, you yeah. know, just okay. that, that half inch of new mm-hmm. growth that's out there. Uh, and usually I get my electric shears and, and do it first, and then I'll go back with my hand shears and kind of tighten up, you know, and to finish off the job. But I was thinking to myself, hmm, here it is. Late. You know, this is fall. And if I go in there and shear those things back now, I'm going to promote new growth, no doubt about it, because it's new growth that I'm cutting off anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, and then we got Mr. Amino winter coming, probably, after mm-hmm. all of this. So am I setting myself up for potential tr- problems if I do it now? I mean, I guess the simplest thing to do is just leave it alone, live with the way they look, a little ragged. Yeah. And just do it early next year before the new growth flushes out. But I'm just a little afraid that if I do it now and we get a crazy winter in here that all that new tissue that I'm going to force out this fall surely probably wouldn't have time to harden off before winter. That's correct. So I would not not do it right now, okay, because you will, you know, if you're just taking off – you know, a, f- a little bit of a few stems here and there, that's fine. That's no, I'm going to get in there. But if you're cutting back the whole plant a half an inch or so, I would be. then you're going to flush a lot of new growth. There's too much time right now. It takes usually 45 days or so for that to flush. And so that still puts you uh, Mid-October, right at the time late of October. our first, first light frost anyway. Yeah. It's always It was always difficult to get the timing right so you didn't, you know, to come... Think about when it's going to be have the most new growth, and you're trying to make it. What am I trying to say? Yeah, it's a strategy to, because you want to prune right now. Right. But you really if can't. you can wait thirty days till October fifteenth, then we'll likely have cold temperatures, which would stop the production mm-hmm. of the buds, mm-hmm. and then it will look good all through the winter. You don't have to wait till February or March. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would then, you know, if yours are get like really compact i would reach in there and you know pull out some or trim off some of the long stems just to loosen it up some and, and i that know it would help but that's thinning you know he ain't gonna back. do that and he wants them round Veda, but you're right i mean yeah. I, i'm actually <laughs> right. I'm, I'm doing the worst thing you can possibly do honestly mm-hmm. to these boxwoods i mean i'm shearing them like i said just like a big beach ball and there's no light whatsoever. They're so thick, mm-hmm. the way I've sheared them, that there's no light reaching the interior right. of this boxwood. Well, if, I I, have, if I gently peel it open, I mean, there's yeah, nothing in there. Right. <laughs> I have uh, pictures of pruning large boxwoods, and when I finally, well, thinning them. So after it was finished thinning them, I took a picture of the boxwood itself, and much more airy. You could, still couldn't see through it mm-hmm. at all, but it was more open. And then the pile... Of limbs that are had taken out was half the size of the boxwood. Yeah, I took that much out, but you still couldn't tell. But then it opened the inside, and the next year I saw new growth coming on. Yeah, and that's you're right. You know, they're supposed to look more natural than the way I have them. You know, more of a cloud. Well, this effect. one was still a hedge. Yeah, but yeah. at least you'd gone in there and cut out some individual mm-hmm. limbs. Uh, you know, create better air circulation, yeah. get a little more light in there. I'm not doing any of that. Even and I know I should be, but yeah. but this is the look that, right, that's just, that I want. No problem. Yeah, Yours no is problem. out in full sun too, isn't it? Jim, they get full morning sun till about one o'clock. Okay. You know. And that was the wintergreen, which is pretty intensely hardy here out of most mm-hmm. of them. And all I, of them. Yeah, they are extremely hardy. And I had a little winter damage last year. Uh, thank goodness I didn't see any volutella blight that we saw on so many boxwoods this year. But I had to go in there and just selectively 
oh, two or three of them, uh, cut out some of a, you know, like a bottom fourth of the plant to where it just dead tissue was there mm-hmm. uh, from that past winter, like so many boxwoods suffered. But uh, I know they'll grow back out, but I was just looking at them yesterday when I was out there watering, like, I need to get out here and shear yeah. these things. But I was, you know, and I knew the answer. I mean, I, I just wanted to bring this up because other he people. Does. I mean, you know, he does all the questions here, but. You know, he's just doing this to entertain y'all. Right. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> he actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> but then I'm thinking also, Jim. Sometimes. What if I do go ahead and do it and take a chance? Well, I, you know, maybe you'll have some winter damage, but I've seen boxwoods pruned all the time, anytime, and they seem to be okay. Yeah. But maybe down the line, mm-hmm. something that happened then may... Because, you know, people are like, I don't know, everything's been fine, and then all of a sudden it died. But then you question back, and something they were doing for years is what contributed to it dying now. That's right. But it wasn't showing that they were doing something bad immediately. Well, I still think I'm going to take Jim's advice and wait another yeah. month to do it. Yeah. I would. I mean, it just makes it better for everything. Yeah. You, you won't see any damage that way, unless we yeah. don't have a freeze until February. <laughs> Besides, I'm yeah. sure it's kind of pretty, you know, with it flushed out some. I mean, you know, I can live with it. Right. it. But like I said, it, it looks like it just needs a haircut, you know, yeah. and I need to just get over this it. This is making you crazy. I uh, know. I just need to get over it. It's not that tight, sheared mm-hmm. look, you know, that manicured. Well, see, if you haven't thinned them now, then wait till it gets closer to Christmas and you can go in there and thin them. And then Gina can take those and make uh, uh-uh. boxwood wreaths. She can use them for decoration around mm-hmm. Christmas time. And, uh, like when I'm pruning my boxwoods, pruning the boxwoods, I pat them. And if you notice, if you're patting them, you'll hit, a, you'll feel like a big clump of uh, limbs together with yeah. little leaves. And then I reach in there and take that whole clump out. Mm-hmm. You think that you're going to leave a big hole. But when you pull that clump out, it just opens up and gets, I just breathe for it <sighs> and gives it room. And that's how I, you know, thin them is just going for the thick clumps. And sometimes you do have to do some cuts that might make it have a hole in there for a little while. But I needed to get those pieces out. Now, there are some really nice, more expensive boxwoods than wintergreen boxwoods that I have, right? And to me, People will pay good money to have an expert out there trimming their boxwoods. It's kind of like trimming a Japanese maple. You want to be really careful because once you make the cut, you can't put it back on, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's an art to it. There's no doubt about it. But in my case, you know, I've just got the shears and I'm just zipping around, just shearing these things. But um, I know I would rather, I probably need at some point to get in there and thin them out, take out some individual limbs. But I'm telling you, Depending on the boxwood, especially some of the old American boxwoods, it's the last thing in the world you'd want to do is, is trim them that way. Right. But what was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I had it there for a minute. Trimming boxwoods. Let me think. I don't know. Go ahead. Well, but that's my point, though. <laughs> I mean, you have to be really careful. Oh, well, you had mentioned like uh, the cost of pruning boxwoods and all and yeah, there are a lot of people that do the quick, they go in, go mow, blow, prune. The, f- just the first thing that you should be aware of is if you hire somebody and they whip out electric shears, yeah. just edge shears, you, that's the wrong person. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. That's a dead giveaway, Jim. Yeah. We, but that house that we did that had the 900 boxwoods, mm-hmm. mercy, sometimes I wanted to give in to those hedgers. <laughs> but we did. We just... 
just cut, cut, cut. You get in a rhythm, cut, cut. And uh, they were like, we had Christmas tree form, round, you know, parterre. The parterre was amazing. But it does, it takes a long time. But she, even though it would probably, it cost maybe three times more for mm-hmm. us to just detail, detail those versus if she had a crew to come in and just shear and mm-hmm. shear, there's a different look. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it really is. is. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt. Now, with these hybrid boxwoods, Veda, mm. you know, or just some of the old-fashioned American, because when they I'm were, thinking about... We had every kind, basically, yeah. like yeah. some baby baby jades and the yeah. American yeah. and the uh, green mountain boxwoods. Yeah, green mountain, green yeah. beauties and all mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, it's an art to it. It really yeah. is, especially when it comes to the old-fashioned, six-foot-tall, six-foot-wide American-type boxwoods. Mm-hmm. You never want to see one of those rounded like a beach ball, ever. Yeah. I have a picture of Dad standing in front of one that we had planted on the property like when I was two years old. And this was, it was, okay, old 40, it was 40 years old or so. And the picture, he, he's a big man, you know, six, over six feet tall. And he looks like a little person. That thing was like 18 feet tall. Yeah. It was out in the country, though. Perfect mm-hmm. location. Mm-hmm. Luckily, none of it, all the girl drivers that he had didn't run over it because it was right by the driveway. I don't know how we managed. And to they're get sticking that. by that statement, I'm not Jim. Touching that. <laughs> <laughs> don't know how we managed. One, me and one of my sisters were able to wreck a car in the same place. The pe- I came climbing up the hill after we after I'd rolled. And the lady was like, are you okay, okay? And I go, just call Bob Mitchell. I'm his daughter. (laughs) (laughs) He'll understand. (laughs) Because I just went through it with my other sister. I don't know how we're on that, too. But anyway. So anyway, (laughs) I guess be careful, uh, guys, when you're thinking about trimming boxwoods. That's why I brought it up this time of year. If they look like they need a haircut, you can go in there, like Veda said, and do a little select pruning. Uh, but you got to be careful. Now, hollies and things like that, knock yourself out. Boxwood, you got to be a little careful with them. Jim, I'm going to do my hollies. Dead gummit. Let's go on a break. Y'all call us 901 260 5926. Also, you can watch us on Facebook Live, and you can leave questions there. Yeah, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And like we always say, if you want to listen to the podcast later on, kwmradio.com. Got you covered. Um, yeah, that's right. That, too. <laughs> Just don't stop abruptly. Me and Jim won't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, um, 7 maybe- o'clock hour. 7 o'clock hour. I like to talk about natives and stuff like that. So we'll throw some native stuff in there. We've got some house plants to talk about. You're talking about the... Slime flux. And we'll do that during the 8 o'clock hour. And then you said something like alcohol flux. Alcoholic flux, right. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm... I can't wait because <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Man, pansy time's going to be for me next week. Yeah, yeah. Before I left at Dan West uh, mm-hmm. this past week, I've been on vacation. You know, we were already selling pansies, violas, yeah. ornamental cabbage, kale. Right, mm-hmm. right. It was crazy. Fall is uh, is fall, y'all, as Veda right. would say. When yeah. I think of ornamental cabbage and kale early on, the first thing I see are cabbage worms or worms mm-hmm. just munching on it. Because it's warm and the cabbage is still kind of like, eh, it's a little warm. So the insects are saying, yeah, I'm going to take care of you. Spray a little BT on it, you'll be yeah, fine. But then you got holes in it the whole time. Not if you spray BT from day one. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'll wait. Okay. So I, bl- I believe it is fall starting now. If you get a cool night, your water lilies start going backwards. And they did. I posted a picture yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
leaves are turning yellow. So all's here. I mean, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. They know. They do. Yeah, right when the pond is so amazingly beautiful. Yeah. You know, just right there at it. And then every day, it's a little less. I've got water, lettuce all over the place. Yeah. And now it's going to be time to compost it. Yeah. <laughs> Scoop it out of there and throw it in the compost yeah. pile, like right. you said. Huh. Yeah. And um, let's see, what else? We've got the underwater grasses. They stay. They're always there, so you don't pull those out at all and throw them away. Yeah, most things, you know, that are hardy, you can just leave in your pond. They're going to be fine, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Now, what do you? What about your lilies, Jim? What do they're you know? fine. Yeah. They just stay in the pot. You, so, and they'll, I mean, of course, the, di- the top mm-hmm. dies top back. Dies, you and you just leave out. it alone. Right. Do same, you pull same. it out, the dead stuff? Yeah, yeah. I do. Because so, yeah. it makes it less debris right and there, it, yeah. you know it if you let all the stuff go in there you're really going to have green water during the spring yeah. when it starts really decomposing and getting nitrogen in the water now what if that pond oh. freezes jim and these things are down there in a pod last year the lotus i mean they froze solid froze oh. absolutely solid and these pots were submerged underwater and that thing turned well, into no, one this is yeah. this is sitting on top of the ground oh then yours are in containers in that's containers right, right. <laughs> and it froze of course right with the goldfish in it and but the goldfish survived um and Amazing. it is like they generate enough heat to have a little water around them and um, you know it was probably frozen for four or five days um, and the lotus came right back out lotus, the spring. Yep, absolutely. Now Just, I'm panicking for the fish in that little bitty air bubble. <laughs> I can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> right, but I'm still very much alive. Yeah, maybe. Now, Veda, no, or any b- difference between, say, the water lilies that are hardy mm-hmm. and the lotus? I mean, you treat them exactly the same, yeah, don't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're just the main thing people make a mistake with is not feeding them enough. Gotcha. Okay. They, they are, they're heavy really heavy feeders. And if you don't, you know, it grows, but it's yeah. not spectacular. I got you. you know? But as far as winter protection, though, Jim, same none. thing? None. I know y'all definitely listen to Jim on this fertilizing thing, because Garden Center sell fertilizer tabs for water lilies and for things like that. And for some reason, we don't feel like we need to. And, and you don't have to, like Jim said, they're there and they look nicely. But with the fertilizer tabs, it's just they makes explode. it so they much really prettier. Do. Yeah. yeah, and I have to teach my girls at work when our water lilies and lotus get to this point, don't sell them. <laughs> They're beautiful, but the pond's empty now. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, now yeah. and they bloom. They are they're summer bloomers. Both of them are. Yeah, they start slowing down usually in August <clears throat> or so. But you know, I took a picture and posted it. Uh, in fact, maybe a, a little after midnight this morning, uh, <laughs> I, I posted I one a lotus that I took yesterday. Uh, beautiful, huge flower. On so you it. still have some bloom. I still on have it. some blooms. Yeah, even though they're yeah. And I found out if you it really does help to when the lotus is done cut that flower out even though it's got that really cool seed mm-hmm. pod on it right, exactly but cut it out uh and because when it starts going to seed it thinks well i'm done for the season right. i don't need to do any more blooming and if you cut those out they just start right back up again so it's yeah. it's and real important with those seed pods are beautiful in dried arrangements yes yeah and yeah. i mean i have them in potpourri things and yeah. all that because they That's look right. so cool so, so isn't that amazing there's so much stuff that we can grow to make your own potpourri with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bouquets, dried flower arrangements, all of that. Like I'm pruning some of the Harry Lauder walking stick right now. It's just 
looks like contorted filbert more Mm -hmm. because it has not been pruned (laughs) in forever but all those contorted sticks are going to look really pretty with no leaves on them in the winter and some porch pots. Of course mm-hmm. they are. And that's just right off of that. Uh, yellow twig dogwoods. Red twig dogwood. Yeah. Great plants. And know? actually I have like a number of them in buckets. I, had, I ordered too many. And so, no, you know, I just got too many. So what I'm doing, and they've been in the bucket long enough to where I really don't want to sell them. Mm. So... I'm just going to wait till the leaves fall off, cut all the yellow twigs off, and use them in my winter arrangements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it'll probably flush back out, or maybe I should just go plant them somewhere on the oh, property. Oh, they'll definitely flush back out next oh, spring. Yeah. And first year is the, has the best color. You really mm-hmm. should on, on yeah. those. Just cut them back eat at the end of the season or early in the yeah. next year. Cut them back, and so you get all fresh new growth. You'll get more stems. Oh, uh, yeah, and, like But that. the first-year color is r- always the best. And I guess the best time to cut them back, though, is still early spring, yeah, though, isn't it? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And now, I, I have yeah. them planted not only for a little winter interest, but there, there are so many um, butterflies and, and moths that actually feed on the plant. So mine, a lot right. of times, look like, you know, they got eat, half Riddled. the leaves are eaten off of them, right. you know. But you don't care about it. Yeah, I don't. That's yeah. one of the things of... Um, why you're picking a shrub for more than just the beauty of it. Right. Because you're going to get to enjoy the, the beneficial insects or the moths and the pretty um, things, pretty moths that it's created from uh, all the larvae that's going to be on the dogwood. Yeah. And, I've got it planted right between, on the left side of it is a um, uh, eastern snowball viburnum that is 15 feet tall. Yeah. And then on the right side is a... a um, and we talked about a minute ago the uh, um, honeysuckle uh, wheeler, uh, uh, the major wheeler, major wheeler, yeah. and and I planted it on the fence, but then I just let it grow and I put a little fence on the pole that goes up to the bat house, and now it's up growing on the bat house, fifteen feet in the air, you know, so it's just solid. Uh, and that and that one's not a, an invasive. No, it's not. No, and it'll it'll grow as high as you want to let it grow. Well, I want to talk about things that we can put on a mailbox pole, ah. maybe including honeysuckle when we get back from the break. Be a good choice. Great topics coming up, y'all. Hang on, we will be back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. They just bouncing around, hitting her face on the microphone, the whole thing, just keeping us laughing. I'm oh, telling my you, word, my word. Hey, y'all, give us a call nine zero one two six zero five nine two six, or Philip can um, he can type take a question. The, sure. Type the question on the board so we can read that, or we'd love to hear you on air as well. Other ways to get in touch with us. Yeah, go to the Monday Nine Ninety Facebook page, like Mary just did. Uh, what is that right there? I can hardly read this. Mary Calvary. She said, what is the best product to use for ants in your yard? I've used yard spikes and granules. Nothing seems to work. They are very small ants. These are not the fire ants. Uh, Mary, appreciate that text, my dear. I just always think of the pink panther. Dead ant. Dead ant. So you need a pink panther. One of the really, really, really good products to use for ants in particular is a product called bifenfrin. Uh, it just does a great job on them. 
And you can either buy that in a granulated form, Mary, or you can buy it in a liquid form. Uh, the liquid form, I think, is under either Fertilome or High Yield. Fertilome, like broad-spectrum insecticide, mm-hmm. which contains bifenferin, um, or the High Yield product that has you know bifenferin. But uh, I'm telling you, if you get some bifenferin, uh, Mary, um, dilute it with water, put it in a hose in or a pump-up sprayer, and just spray the foundation of the house, the beds, the yard, wherever they are. What would be the reason to get rid of ants besides just a nuisance. maybe in your house? I'd definitely... Want them to go. Only reason I wouldn't want them in my house because I would know they were after a couple of pieces of crumbs, right. and that'd make me crazy. But otherwise, ants wherever are fine. Why would you want to get rid of them? I'm wondering. Do you really need to go through all that, or I can mean, we if, just let them do their thing? Well, sometimes, like if you have a little dog food out there, they're just taking over it. Well, that's um, true. That that is a bother. If they're getting in the house, like you're talking about, Veda. Um, but other than that, they're not, I mean, unless it's fire ants, you know, know, they're not really doing anything, but if you don't want them and don't like them and you do want to get rid of them, uh, that bifenfrin, Mm -hmm. that product in particular really does a good job on ants and it's got a very good residual after you you use it. Yeah. So when y'all are going and looking for, for ant control and all, and there's so many things, you just need to read the label and get bifenfrin. And what's even easier is if you go to Independent Garden Center, they'll know. And And you don't have to read every label on the shelf. That's right, Veda. And Jim, you know this. It's not the only product. Uh, You know, most of your broad-spectrum insecticides are going to list ants, Um, you know, the permethrins, the, you know, the cyflurians and so forth. But I'm telling you, out of all those, if I was going to buy one, uh, it would be the bifenfrin. That yeah. was going to be the best one. You know, and if you were to call a professional out there to spray your yard for ants, they're going to spray something called Tolstar, which is bifenfrin. Right? Yeah. Same product. Same, same product. Yeah. Um, so, Mary, hope that that'll help you out. Uh, and the same thing, you know, if you're spraying, you know, you still want to spray in the morning or the afternoon, not during the heat of the day, even though it's not like it was, you know, two yeah. weeks ago. Uh, make sure all the vegetation that you're spraying, if you're spraying your shrubs down or whatever, uh, you know, have been watered before you spray. And that's with any spray. Um, but other than that, no, get out there, give it a good spray and maybe come back in about 10 days, two weeks if need be and reapply it. Problem solved. There you go. So I was talking about natives and nature and all of that. And one thing I'd been thinking of is why you plant this versus why you plant that. And why we plant ornamentals, and then why you want to plant natives. And, for instance, the crepe myrtle, the fantastic, beautiful, wonderful crepe myrtle that we can't live without. But just think about it. Crepe myrtles attract aphids, crepe myrtle bark scale. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got all kinds of diseases. Powdery mildew. Yeah, powdery mm-hmm. yeah. mildew. And they're, because they're native to, like, India or uh, where? Southeast Asia, yeah, basically. Yeah. Right, so they're native there, but we bring them over here in their ornamentals. Or you could plant an inkberry. doesn't have the blooms all like a crepe myrtle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this is the replacement, but just for an example, if you plant an inkberry, which is native here, and they're hybridizing <coughs> some that look really good, but you're attracting uh, these beautiful larvae that make these beautiful sphinx moths, mm-hmm. sphinx moths, uh, moths, <laughs> I can't say it. Um, you're attracting a lot of different birds and it's just a good wildlife place for um, animals and beneficials to be. So you can plant a crepe myrtle and deal with the sap on your car and, and spraying in a program and all of that. Or you can plant something that's more native 
and it's doing a lot of beneficial stuff for your landscape, and you're not spraying and all of that. No doubt. I mean, and it all makes sense, but people aren't going to do it. Yeah, Well, I shouldn't say that. Most people aren't going to do it because they want that exotic look. They want those blooms that bloom all summer, regardless of how much trouble it might be. It's not just a crepe myrtle I'm picking on. It's a lot of other plants. Well, think think of this also, which I was going through. Why would I just give up a crepe myrtle for an inkberry and all? But just location is definitely a big thing because we have a crepe myrtle in one location. I only want it there because the shade's fantastic. Mm. Otherwise, the blooms are just all over the ponds, everywhere, everywhere. Don't ever put one by a pool, yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, if I had an, um, a different type of plant, because the inkberry really wouldn't get it tall enough and do the same thing as the crepe myrtle. But then if we had a, a different, more a native plant. A deciduous magnolia. Yeah, you know, then or, you wouldn't have that problem. But, you know, where our crepe myrtle's located, it gets plenty of water all the time. It gets fertilizer, natural fertilizer, and it, we don't have that aphid drop and all of that. You know, we'd have to cut the tree down if we did because that was a main sitting place. So it's a very healthy yeah, crepe But I myrtle. never see the blooms because they're way up there, <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, but a lot of people, and maybe it's a misnomer, Veda, that they deem natives as boring. And, you know, and maybe we shouldn't look at natives that way. Maybe we need to look at them at all the benefits, like you're talking about, that come with natives, Jim. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so uh, I don't know. It's, it's, but but we, there again, we want that nice looking foliage. We want the colored stems. Mm -hmm. We definitely want the blooms. And I don't care what what it is. (laughs) And if, if we're looking at that and then we look over at one of these natives that do great, they're low maintenance, they're great pollinators, Mm -hmm. like you said, Veda, they bring in the good bugs. Nope, right. nope, I want the one I mean, that's going to bloom every day for me. Yeah, you know, the example I've always used is if, you know, if you come into my yard, what you're going to see is lots of flowers. If you pull over on the side of the road on Highway 64 and look out in the woods, <laughs> that's a native garden. Yeah. Okay. It's just something not quite the same. <laughs> it's how you put them together. I don't care how, how you, you put them together. And how you sneak <laughs> ornamentals in with yeah. them. Like I said, I'm going to do more natives, yeah. but not completely. I'm not, I'm not anti-native. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, my garden has, has both. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we should yeah. really should focus. You know, I need color. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just do in my garden. Um, but I also plant, like I say, you know, I have a pawpaw tree that I planted yeah. for, uh, hoping to get the larva of the zebra swallowtail. Yeah. Yeah. Hadn't done it yet, yeah. right. but it's a nice green tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hadn't fruited yet. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's a pretty addition into the corner and it, it, it works for yeah. me. I'm happy with that. Well, that's like driving up in on these mountain roads up in Gatlinburg this past week. Uh, my wife made the comment that there's a wildflower or it might have even be a weed uh but a wildflower uh that was growing on the side of one of these mountain roads had beautiful yellow blooms all over it and it was only about two foot tall and it looks like somebody had gone out there and planted uh-huh. just or sown the seed for these things and that was just a native plant um now you know it probably looked very inconspicuous uh, you know or just green for most of the year until right now mm-hmm. so right yeah, because I saw a beautiful field of yellow, yeah. yellow blooms, and just stopped and thought how wonderfully beautiful that is, but it's got plenty of room to do that. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, 
I think natives definitely have a spot in the landscape if you understand why you're planting these natives. And some natives are beautiful. I'm not saying all natives are ugly. Don't get right. me wrong. But, Veda, we always go back to, to these heavy bloomers, the, these exotic plants that that give it's more of a wow factor mm-hmm. than just these, you know, typical green natives that we have out there. But if you want to go all native, you can. Absolutely. I, that's the great thing here, you know. Um our native insects that we have here feed on just as much on exotics as they do natives. So you would not want to not plant a tropical milkweed right. because right. you've got our good in, our butterflies that will feed on it. Right. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a mixed garden, mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with having all totally natives if you want, yep. you know, right. have it kind of a throw look. And, you know, have weeds that are grass, excuse me, grasses that have gotten <laughs> four feet tall. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to a break. See what he did. Right, I did, I, like when I'm not looking. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to a break and give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. Oh, she's dancing in the uh, chair again. She's going to give us a call. the music y'all picked. 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Or you can give us a shout on the Money 990 uh, Facebook page. And like I said, if you miss all that, guys, kmradio.com, streaming live all the time. Listen to the podcast at your convenience. Guys, I've got this, and I have to raise my hand. This is really my fault hmm. for the most part. But I've got a, of course, like everybody else, a mailbox. And this, in my case, it's just a, it's down by the co- end of the cove at the edge of the driveway where most mailboxes are, right? And I've got a clematis that's planted right in front of it. And it was a clematis that uh, our kids, uh, that when they were younger, gave my wife um, for Mother's Day. I forget what it was. I think it was Mother's Day. So I went out there and I, I planted this years ago, of course. And when I initially planted it, Jim Veda, you know, I took a little bit of time to dig the hole a little deeper, I mean, a little wider than it was deep, and I amended the soil. But all I did was just create a hole. I didn't make a bed around the pole. I didn't do it. You were just, experimenting, it, right? I'm going to yeah. say that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so I planted this thing, and it, it, it just takes the abuse. It's out there in full baking sun. It never gets watered. It's never. It's not even shaded at the mm-hmm. bottom like it should be. And so you're asking yourself, why do I keep it here? Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly, exactly right. And in the spring, you know, it grows maybe six inches, <laughs> and it has yeah. a few little spindly little <laughs> blooms. But I'm thinking, man, I need to, this thing. I, it needs to come out, and I need to really create a bed around this mailbox. I mean, to do it right, honestly. But then I was thinking, well, hang on. You know, there are other easy ways. There are shortcuts to everything, right? So why don't I just get rid of this clematis and maybe plant it somewhere else because it's suffering down there, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it gets abused that bad. And just put maybe an annual vine down there or a perennial vine that might be more, that can take the abuse mm-hmm. more than this clematis can. Remember that time that postman called and asked us not to put vines on the mailbox? Okay, well, I wrote that down also. <laughs> Did you? But let's say if I wanted to plant Jim and Veda a, uh, a perennial vine that was going to come back every year, still gave me some bloom, uh, but it was going to be a little tougher than this, this very pinly looking 
clematis that's down there? What would be like one vine that you might grab? That's where I would plant major wheel or honeysuckle. Yes. Okay. Now, I would not take the clematis up. I'd leave it because mm, nice. <clears throat> it will grow up through it and give you some big color during the summer also. And it would okay. be shaded too right. more. That's where oh. it's going to help. It's going to help shade the clematis. You know, vines normally come up in the shade of other stuff mm-hmm. and then grow up through it. So the 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 whole main stems are usually shaded. Then when it gets to the top, it canopies out and is in full sun. Mm-hmm. That's where it blooms. So if you just leave it and let the two grow together, it's going to get the <laughs> shade from the honeysuckle. You're going to have the huge amounts of flowers of honeysuckle in the spring. You'll have sporadic flowers all season. It's evergreen or semi-evergreen. Okay. Uh, and then you'll have the honeysuckle all the time, and you'll get big flowers. My mailbox has nine different clematis planted yeah. on it. Good Lord. You know, <laughs> along with an evergreen wisteria and the golden poet's uh, jasmine. So, you know, it's just a conglomeration of stuff. So stuff's going in and out all the time. I got a beautiful little Raguchi in there that, you know, has the little uh-huh. bell-shaped flowers, plus a Langenosa candida, which has the big, huge mm-hmm. white flower. Uh, so it's just <laughs> you get different stuff blooming all the time. Okay, so leave that one there. Yeah. Just plant a, a major one. Why, why major wheeler? Well, I think it is the most spectacular of yeah. the honeysuckles yeah. and, and not aggressive. Yeah. Okay. But so I can keep it manicured around this mailbox pole in the top of the mailbox. Absolutely. And, well, and then, okay, well, thank you for that. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do because also I'd written down, you know, some annual vines. Now, the beauty of an annual vine is how fast they grow right. and they bloom basically every day. Well, you can throw that in there too. You could. Now, a lot of the annual vines, though, will shade your honeysuckle. Yeah. Because they're going to get, they're more aggressive and they're going to get on top of it. So you, you know, you just have to, if you want to do that, it's fine. But you just. But it's something wanna, you have to plant every year. And that would be like Cypress vine. They well, even wrote down. And it will even reseed itself. Yeah. You know, because I remember at one point years ago, I'd put like a hyacinth bean. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Around mm-hmm. uh, as an annual vine grows like a weed, has beautiful little purple blooms on it. But there was a stretch for about two weeks. I wasn't getting any mail. Huh. And then finally I saw the mailman out there. He's like, man, do you know how many bees this thing's attracting? <laughs> so yeah. he would come around the cove and zip, go right on past that yeah. mailbox because of the bees. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe that could be a problem. Hey, that's a yeah, really... I, had a, uh, I had a fairy rose planted on mine on our first house in Bartlett. Mm-hmm. Opened the mailbox one day and there's a piece of paper in there that says, ouch. <laughs> 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 so maybe being sensitive to the male woman or the mailman I'm not going to plant a vine that's going to attract every bee in the neighborhood. Right. You know, I mean, so I guess that's something we need to keep in mind. You're sitting there all mad because you didn't get an invitation to the party, but the whole thing was the postman didn't want to get stoned. (laughs) No, exactly right. So, I I mean, I guess uh, that's something to think about, but I I do like the idea of planting a, a vine like the Major Wheeler Honeysuckle to where I just plant it one time. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, you know, take care of it, and water is needed, feed it, uh, get it established, and uh, I know from time to time I'll have to walk down there with the hose and, and put a little water on there, which I'm not doing with this one <laughs> puny yeah. little clematis that's down there now, so. Yeah, uh, make, yeah. Sure, make sure you get your pH up around 7, okay? That won't be a problem. And the honeysuckle will be fine, you know, at that, but you're going to need that for the clematis. Right. And uh, if you... If you decide to put even even more clematis in there, remember it is the one plant in that here that you want to plant deep. Yeah. Okay. 
if you if you buy one, you want to put about six inches of the stem that you're seeing in underground because all that will become root system, and you'll have much much better, much healthier. Kind of like a planting the tomato deep. Just exactly right, and that well, would that, turn it. Because most things, things yeah, if you plant tomatoes. deep, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you plant uh-huh. some things deep, you, you know, it, it kills it. Yeah, That's right. everything, but the clematis. Right. I would have never never thought that because it's so tender looking. It looks little stems, but, yeah. But this thing made it through the winter. I mean, it did. The, this past winter didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're that tough, even though they look so dainty and so mm-hmm. fragile. Um, but um, uh, now what about a tropical vine? You know, like a mandevilla or, or something like that. Absolutely, you just have to do it every year. Yeah, you and know. fertilize it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now but I won't I'd try that too. I want the low maintenance. I sh- yeah. Low maintenance is a cypress vine. One of the prettiest things I've ever seen is the brown bud alamanda put on a mailbox. Mm, I've Uh, never seen that. It is, I mean, because it has that spectacular, huge yellow Yellow flower. Yeah. And uh, it it's really stunning on a mailbox, hmm. but you're gonna have to do it every year or dig it up and save it. So it comes down to either you put annual vines on there that you might have to plant every year. A lot of times they reseed, but the beauty of them is they grow so fast. You can put hardy vines on there, clematis, clematis, and nothing, no problem mixing them. Honeysuckles, and like you said, Jim, you've already got a mix on yours, mm-hmm. and they do perfectly fine. And then even some of the tropical vines. But I've got to do something different, guys. Either this thing's got to come up and I have nothing down there, or I add to what's down there and really start taking care of what I put down there. But the first thing is going to be the bed prep also. Uh, You know, I don't care if it's just a donut-sized round bed around this mailbox pole, if you will. Um, Because, I mean, in this clematis, like I said, I planted this thing probably three years ago. And the soil down there is just baking rock hard. I can't believe this thing is even still alive. So uh, I'm going to make yeah, a few changes see, down there, yeah. That was uh, a thought I had when we're talking about the clematis, and then Jim saying mix the vines, and I'm going, okay, we got to do the soil prep again. And how are you going to are you going to lift the clematis out to try to get it at the same level when you prep the soil? But now that I know it's okay to be planted deeper, yeah. it's going to be easier to prep the soil, and yeah. when you get it up around the stem, it's okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's because yeah. perfect. In, because in the perfect world, when you mm-hmm. do plant a clematis. Uh, it, it, they do need more sun than shade, and I've got the spot for that, no doubt about it. They need well-drained soil, uh, and it's on a slope, so that's not a problem. But they do also like, like you said, Jim, some of the, at least the foot part where the root system Right, lower shaded, stem needs you know, to be shaded because it, it has very, very little foliage on it, and, and it can sure. And, and one of the other things is protecting it from damage. Even birds can bump it, and so many times we see the, the top part die back and there's two reasons for that. One, it's been damaged, and or it has gotten fungal spores in there that cause it's a cane dieback. Mm-hmm. Doesn't kill the plant, but causes it to resprout. And we see that every and, year. Yeah, yeah and you know, even a dog bumping up against it or something mm-hmm. can damage it enough for that disease to get into it. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, because they're so tiny. I mean, I'm trying to the pull stems. the stems out. The little dead ones, and so clipping like every couple of inches because you just can't take a dead stem and yank it out like no. you could on because then the whole thing's a mess. But I grew clematis in containers too, yeah, right? and they do great. They do great. But yeah. this is one of those things where, and we see this a lot where, you know, we try to do something that we think we'll like, okay? Mm-hmm. But in so many t- instances where if we don't go back and, and at least give it an effort to take care of it, you know, sometimes it's better just take the dang thing out. Yeah, and try exactly. to, or and then to have something out there that just looks horrible, 
Does that make sense? Total. You yeah. know, so, but I get so used to seeing that horrible looking mm-hmm. thing down there that I don't even see it anymore. Yeah. But I noticed it yesterday it. and I'm like, mm, something's got to be done down here. Well, it's like I see areas and if you just took out two shrubs that were looking bad, you just took those two shrubs out and then the whole landscape looks fresh. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just taking two things. All right, y'all, just hang on. But you can give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us today. Let's go ahead and go... Talk to Lynn. Good morning, Lynn. Calling from Cordova. How can we help you today? Uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, place out here where I found a scarlet quince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that plant. It's a gorgeous plant. Did you find uh, it like at a garden center? Is that what you were saying? No, no, no. I found this. Uh, it's growing. It's growing in the wild. Or yeah. The wild. But it's been left unattended for over a year or so. Yeah. And it hadn't been cut back in over a year or so. Yeah. And it's gotten really big, and the uh, stems coming out of the main part of it are just really tall now, like four, three or four, five feet. Yeah. So I went out and cut off a bunch of the ones from the... uh, you know, where the leaves start mm-hmm. on the new growth, the long stem, and I cut off a bunch of those stems, and what I want to do is plant them and see if I can get those to uh, come up next spring. What yeah. do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, I think you should be able to root them just fine. Now, they uh, from cuttings. Yeah. Uh, they are loaded with the flower buds now. So the the flower buds form in July and August, um, so they they should bloom for you actually. Um, you don't but want it's it just leaves on the you know like that's right. A, a foot yeah, or two on the top of the stem. Yeah, you want your cuttings to be about a foot long, okay? Yeah. And if you've got a four foot one, you can cut it in four pieces. I mean, you can, they'll all root. You want at right. least two leaf nodes in your in, underground. When you when you stick, you stick it down in the ground. <clears throat> and what I would okay. use would I prefer sand uh, as a rooting medium. That way you don't have to worry about root rot diseases and that sort of thing. But get you a five gallon bucket, fill it full of sand, uh, dip them in a rooting compound. Uh, when you get ready to do it, you can get it at any garden center, uh, and then stick those underground, and then just leave them outside. Make sure that it stays moist. Put out, them in, out of the sun, Jim. Out of the sun. Put them in, in a shadier area uh, and just make sure that sand stays moist. Uh, if you want to, you can put a plastic bag over them, and that helps keep the humidity in there. But you really, with quince, it's pretty tough. You don't, really don't have to do that. But just keep well, it moist, question, and they'll root fine for question, you. My main question is, is the pieces that I cut off, Right. can I just uh, plant, plant uh, you know, like, uh, plant the whole thing underground. Well, it's like it's like you were saying, Lynn. The pieces that you cut off, you typically want about you know anywhere from eight to twelve inch cuttings. Okay, so you've yeah. got let's say a, a, a ten inch cutting in your hand, uh, and you'll you'll cut it at an angle. You'll kind of rough up the bottom uh, of the stem, just kind of rough up the bark a little bit, two or three inches up from the cut. 
You dip it down in a rooting hormone like Jim's talking about, like root tone, and then uh-huh. you push that down either in a lightweight potting soil or you or in sand like Jim was talking about. And then what you're trying to do is create roots on the bottom of these cuttings. So, okay. yeah, I mean, you don't want to put a three-foot cutting, you know, just stuck down in the ground. No. Okay. Yep. So they just need to be planted uh, with the uh, stem where I cut it down in the ground in a rooting solution. That's right. exactly right. Just yep. Pull the leaves off, get two of those leaf nodes underground, and if it's got a whole lot of foliage on the top, probably take half of it off. Um, you don't... It, may not be able to support the moisture for all of that. So if yeah. you just want to leave some green producing tissue on it. On the top. Oh, just some of the leaves. Right? Yeah, you right. don't need many leaves. Just some at the top but, right there. What I'm saying is you can't plant the whole cutting in the ground and see if it'll come up. Well, I wouldn't. Now, you could, if you've got fairly decent soil, dig you a trench, lay the whole thing down in there, with just the tip sticking out. Out of the ground. Right. Just dust the whole thing with rooting compound, um, cover it with mud, and water it in, and chances are it will root and get five or six shoots coming up and make you a little clump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was hoping was to get several clumps out of the cutting that I can use the uh the plant you know once the plant gets going pretty decent is you know then i can have five or six of them around the yard well yeah yeah i mean that's what you're doing either you're sticking individual cuttings into the ground to get Uh you know an individual plant or like jim was saying you're laying these things down in a little trench covering them up to get an individual plant but the more cuttings that you Try, Lynn. You know the the better your percentages are going to be. Right. Well, I've got so I've got a five gallon bucket full of. Them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I cut them last the first of the week, and they're all been down in about uh, six inches of water. You can say as long as they're not, uh, as long as they're staying hydrated. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right, because they're a beautiful plant when they're you know cut back and kept. Yeah. yeah, right. They are. I love the bloom on, on quince. Yeah. Let us know what happens, Lynn. Okay, well, I'll do that. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for calling. Thank you, buddy. Okay, let's go to Jeff calling from Germantown. Good morning, Jeff. You're in the garden. Uh, yeah, folks, uh, I recently bought uh, some Lantana <laughs> um, four-inch pots. Yeah. Bought like five of them, and it's gone crazy in my front yard. It's great. <laughs> But I recently read that it can be, or certain types of lantana can be extremely toxic to dogs. And um, the, the blackberries are poisonous, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Okay, this, this, these just have uh, yellow flowers. Right, yeah. right. Just don't let them go to seed. Once, once the flowers are spent, just, you know, occasionally go by, and if you see any setting seed, pinch the flower butt off. I have them growing all in my yard, and I have five mm-hmm. dogs. You know, okay. They don't yeah. taste very well, good. I so have a dog that has a tendency to chew on green stuff every now and then. Yeah, gotcha. no, that'd be fine. Yeah, she, yeah. she hasn't messed with this yet. Yeah, it, <laughs> yet. they don't uh-huh. taste particularly good from experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the biggest thing, Jeff, like to said, make sure they don't go to seed, and that's that little purple berry that you'll see. 
And that's going to be the most toxic or the only mm-hmm. toxic part, Jim. Yeah, I guess the, the most toxic the anyway. Are mildly yeah. toxic, but yeah. it's the berry where it gets concentrated. Yeah. Gotcha. And I understand they will come back every year. Is that right? Nah, that's well, an up and down. It depends on the variety. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, they're they're really they are a perennial. The further south you go, okay, but this far north, uh, they're really planted as an annual. It's a perennial that's really treated as an annual. Now, if you leave them in the ground, there's one called I think Miss Huff in particular that might come back better than some of the other ones. Yeah. But you can't count on that lantana to come back year after year. Yeah. If it does, great, but you can't count on it. Miss Huff, pink Miss Huff. Uh, ham and eggs and new gold are the four that are likely to come back for you. Um, okay. I lost this past winter. I lost um, my pink Miss Huffs, but they've been there for seven or eight years. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I have less than a $10 investment anyway, so I'm not worried about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and man, and they're tough as everything. They're heat and drought tolerant. And when they bloom, they're absolutely beautiful. I have to agree with you, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, buddy. All right. Thanks for Hi, the call. Man. Thanks, Thanks for, for calling. Call. Yeah, that's funny you brings that up. I had read a while back and <clears throat> that somebody was writing don't even touch them. Don't have them in your yard. They're highly toxic. Oh, the lantanas? Yeah, don't don't and I'm thinking no, I've planted lantanas for my forever and ever. I have dogs and we, cats. We get them in stock. You know, I mean, the leaves sometimes are rough. But some of them smell good too. The leaves some have like a little lemon flavor smell. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't break out. I'm fine, you know. And I was like, why are they scaring us with lantana? Because it's not where you can't touch it. If you have kids, don't have it. If you have dogs, don't have it. Yeah. And I'm thinking lantana is highly planted in Texas mm. everywhere. And we planted a lot here too. So that, yeah, how but, could that be accurate? Yeah. And here's the thing it says a review of more than 600 cases of kids eating lantana didn't find evidence of serious poisoning. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just checking a few things here. Yeah. <clears throat> it's thought that red flowered varieties are more toxic than the whites and pinks, but even some of those are toxic. But it's the berry that you want to have the, uh, the most concern about. And I don't see uh, all of them burying a, a tremendous amount. I've seen them bury before, and I think the blackberries are pretty on there, but I don't. Really, we hardly ever let them get to the berry stage. We don't have, I guess, long enough season for it. Yeah, but also, if you started really looking into annuals and perennials that might have a little toxicity mm. to them, you wouldn't be planting anything out there if you had literally, children and yeah. dogs. You yeah, know, literally. I'm not saying don't be aware and don't be careful. And don't go out and just graze on things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, another break we're going to. Great questions, y'all. We love to hear what's going on in your garden. Remember, no question is silly. Oh, no. Except some that we ask. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Clarify. Okay, y'all. 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call. 901-260-5926. Yep. And you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening. And... uh, We'll take care of it right there, no and problem. And you can reach me anytime during the week. Just um, get on our Facebook group. If you're not a member, you should be. Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones 6, 7, and 8. I have to agree with you there, Jim. You know, I didn't know that there's something called a resistance drill that arborists use on trees. And the resistant drill 
is um, what it does is measure the thickness of the walls <coughs> of the tree. And they'll find that trees are hollow, some of them, but if the thickness of the wall is like 10 inches around, then they still consider it stable. Yeah. But it was a resistance drill, which was really good to know because I, I wondered, you know, trees can stay if they're hollow. But oh, yeah. That wood's dead. So it, all it is is support yeah. for the yeah. tree. Uh, all the middle, the yeah. middle part. Yeah. So that's crazy. A hollow tree. But, you know, the walls had to be 10 inches around around uh to support it so sometimes when trees fall down it's not because they were hollow unless the walls were really thin well here some i'm sorry so many of them you see a fall because we have very shallow rooted trees right Mm -hmm. you know and if you get super saturated soil like you know after eight inch rains and so forth even the healthiest tree is in danger of falling. Well, I told you about that tree, you know, a couple of weeks ago. The guy, you know, it fell down. He had it cut up. And, I mean, you could you could see from one end to the other. Nothing yeah. but hollow on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then, again, that's probably not why the tree fell. It's like Jim was talking about, the roots are just so shallow-rooted in our clay soil. You get these high winds in here, and, and man, they're coming down. I'm telling you. But it's scary to think that. Out of all the oak trees that we have here in Shelby County, and it's nothing but oak trees. I mean, yeah. if you ever fly over Shelby County, you, you, you know, it's yeah. a jungle down there. But how many of these oak trees, Veda, probably, Jim, probably have a hollow trunks in them. A great many of them, yeah. You know, know. You know we're going to talk about probably. slime flux during the 8 o'clock hour, but they estimate that if you walk into any woods, that about 70% of the trees in there are infected to some extent. Oh, God, i got to so, hear this. Right. Um, I was, you know, we were talking about, and I'll get off the subject, but we were talking about Roundup the other day uh, and, you know, what's going to happen when they take Roundup off the market. And because everything that you've been reading for the last two or three years has said they're going to take Roundup off the market uh, at the end of two, 2023. Uh, so I was talking to one of the salespeople a couple of weeks ago and asking him, I said, Is, have you heard anything definitive about when they might take Roundup off the market? The Roundup brand, Roundup, okay? Right. Uh, and it's supposed to be at the end of this year, at the end of 2023, just like we've been reading. Now, does that mean that, uh, you know, Roundup, was it glyphosate, Jim? Glyphosate, yeah. Glyphosate won't be available? No. I mean, it will be available uh, probably under some other brand names. Uh, but the Roundup brand itself is going to have a different active ingredient mm-hmm. than what we've been using right. for the last 30 See, years. That's what I understand was with the Roundup, it was the inert ingredient mixed with the Roundup that caused problems. But the glyphosate by itself, yeah, they think, sorry, yeah, they think causes the problems. The surfactant in there, they're saying that. Yeah. But uh, if you're using it just with uh, the other brands, then it's not because... I know people don't understand how come they're taking it off the market, but you can buy it in a different name. And it's the inert ingredients that are used with it. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, So I just want to bring that up. I mean, he called me the other day and said, yeah, the Roundup brand Roundup, uh, this should be the last year. And I don't want people that really use, you know, homeowners that use Roundup to go into a panic because <laughs> under other brand names, you can still find the same active ingredient. Everybody's garage Even shelf the, is stocked yes. with Roundup. Now, and, now, and, you know, there will be residual sales after 2023, <laughs> things that are still in the market, on the market that these distributors still have, you know, they can still sell. But there is a time, guys, it's coming to a close where uh, the Roundup formula that you found in Roundup trade name uh, that product is going to be not available for homeowners, uh, not 
too long in the distant future. So. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. You know, like when they took MSMA off the market, right. they took it off for homeowner applications. Which means that if you're a homeowner and you use something and then you come down with cancer, you didn't follow label instructions, so they have no liability whatsoever. Right. And it's a cover-their-butt kind of thing. Yes. So, you know, they're going to switch, I think, to glufosinate. They are. Which is a a similar chemical. and You won't see much difference in how it works other than when we first tried it many, many years ago. It didn't seem to do as good a job on nutgrass. That was the only difference that we saw. Yeah. Um, but it, it does a good job of doing exactly the same thing. And the only difference, really, if you read about them, Jim, and Veda, is the Roundup is a pure systemic herbicide. It goes down and kill root and all, uh, the, which is glyphosate. The glucophate product that they're going to replace it with, the active, it's uh, semi-translocating. It, it doesn't really go down and kill the whole root. Now, a lot of times, if you kill most of the top, the root's going to die anyway. Right. So there will be products out there that we can use that's supposed to be a little safer, depending on what material you read. Uh, but just for people that were asking me, uh, the Roundup brand, Roundup product, this is going to be towards the this is going to be the last year that you'll really find it. Right. So. And if you look at the Roundup that you get in in the stores, even the ready to use and the concentrate, they have added diquat to it because. Yeah. Roundup did a good job, but people complained that it took so long to kill. So Diquat is a cotton herbicide, yep. and it when you spray it, it I think it did more damage to the product than it did good because it burns the foliage immediately. Mm-hmm. I but don't people think like you, to see those immediate results, I know, Jim. but I don't think you really had time to get that chemical down into mm-hmm. the root system. Yeah. Oh, true. So, it kills yeah. it so fast. Now, yeah. The nice huh. thing about Diquat it goes away really quick. Basically, when it hits the soil, it starts going away and biodegrading into nothing. Yeah. So it's it's very safe for homeowners in the amounts that you're using it. So, yeah. I just want to throw that out there. Yep. Well, um, at the next hour, I'm going to talk about coffee grounds, too. Jim, you're going to love You're going to love this. You're so going to love it. I thought I put that to bed years ago. but this is different. You're so going to love it. Um, Let's go to Susan. She's calling about planting tulipes. Tulips. (laughs) Tulipes. Susan, good morning to you. (laughs) Yes, good morning. Good morning, dear. You guys. I'm from the north, but we say you guys. Yeah. Heck yeah, yeah, you do. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I've been called worse. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on today, Miss Susan? Well, I um, did not plant my tulips last year. Mm -hmm. So I I know they have to be kept cold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I stuck them in the freezer. So I don't know if that's just too cold, whether I should plant them. No. Yeah. If you stuck them in the freezer, you might as well take those and put them in the compost pile. Okay. (laughs) Because you, you will freeze the embryo that's inside that tulip. Ideally, oh. Susan, when you buy tulips, and you can buy them now, uh, the yes. best place which to store them. Yeah, yeah, which you should. The best place to store yeah. them is in the refrigerator, not the freezer. You can't. You don't want those things to freeze all the way through. Uh, yeah, I had done that in the past, but I don't know. For some reason, I, I thought, yeah, I'm just going to throw I might have been in a hurry. You sound like me. Yeah, baby, that's just, that's not going to help you at all. But if you just stick them in the fridge and use it around Thanksgiving, put them in the ground, they'll do perfectly fine. But 
if you let them freeze uh, before you get them in the ground, uh, especially by putting them in the freezer, Susan, no, ma'am, that's just it's going to kill the embryo that's inside that bulb. Yeah. In the north, we used to count on a cold winter. Yeah. That's right. But we can't hear. That's right. So tulips need <laughs> a good is, yeah. chill to yeah. really perform well the next spring. Really about 14 weeks of consistent cool temperature to get uniform stem height. That's what will mess up. Yeah. If it gets warm and gets cold, you'll get, when you plant oh. them all six inches deep, some will be six inches tall, some will be 12 inches tall. Right. Mm. Well, from Chicago, uh, we used to have real cold winters, and then I thought, well, I'll just throw them in the freezer, and maybe it'll be the same. Yeah, yeah. I get that. But yeah. that tulip in the ground in Chicago is still insulated mm-hmm. to where the bulb itself is not freezing. Yeah, it's, it's surrounded by cold right. soil, That's but it's why not you freezing. Plant it deeper is below the level of freezing. Wow. Okay, Susan, that was a great question. Thank you, Thank You're you welcome. Dear. Thank you. Y'all, hang on. Got There's another hour so of this. We'll be right back. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad to be with you today. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm unemployed. I'm Jim Crowder. <laughs> and we're glad you are because you can be the administrator of the Facebook page, which is great. That's right. I enjoy doing it, you know, and a lot of times in the middle of the night. So if mm-hmm. you, your phone beeps, I am so sorry if it wakes <laughs> you up. Because <laughs> a lot of times it is the middle of the night when Jim's going back yeah. answering all those right. questions. And Veda, um, you know, you and I say fall is a fun time at the garden center. You know, I mean, pansies will be out there. And, of course, you know, at, in a lot of places they are, even at Dan West, the violas, the ornamental cabbage, the kale, the ornamental peppers, uh, you know, the cold crops that people are planting. It, it's just, it is. It's a fun time of year. But it's a whole different season, though. Yeah. yeah th- it's great planting season. A lot of people think you can't plant trees, shrubs, vines, perennials. No, wonderful oh, planting it's a great season. time. And then like Susan was talking about a while ago, even the fall bulbs, you know, especially tulips. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you buy those, you know, stick them in the fridge and usually plant them around Thanksgiving. Uh, the other bulbs, you know, the daffodils, the narcissus, all the minor bulbs, which are available. You know, typically you don't have to pre-chill those, but you can put any of them, all of them in the fridge. And usually, general rule of thumb, around Thanksgiving, stick them in the ground. You'll be fine. Of course, let's say now, don't put them in the fridge with your fruits. Nothing, no ripening fruit. I would include apples, bananas, anything like that. Yeah. All right. So the coffee thing. I got to hear this. I know. In Australia, (laughs) they have discovered that charred coffee grounds. Charred. Charred coffee grounds makes great bonding for concrete. It makes concrete stronger. Well, there's, you know, I finally a, you a use that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> oh, look at this. I fell out. I was like, Jim, Jim, I got to tell you this. Because remember, Jim was debunking a lot of these yeah. myths that people yeah. use, uh, you know, coffee grounds. Yeah, and one of the things, it wasn't just the grounds. It was the caffeine yeah. that was uh, toxic to certain plants. So you're saying, Jim and Veda, that... Other than throwing them in the compost pile, 
just just kind of leave you know, it. I mean, you know, you can add, but don't add too much of it, you know, because there is there's a lot of caffeine in there, and it and it's toxic to most seedlings and most plants. Um, and so it definitely you, doesn't help sprinkling it around your plants, no. like everybody has been told. Yeah, it really does. If I want to sprinkle and, and a little you, bit around my hydrangea to make the uh, the blooms bloom, uh, okay. Well, yeah, you hear that. You know, it's acidic. Let's throw it out. Well, it isn't. You know, <laughs> regular coffee grounds like the stuff you get at at um, Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, come, the pH is about six point four to six point seven, yeah. so it's n- nearly neutral. So it wouldn't turn your anything blue. It would turn them pink. <laughs> okay. Just the opposite and of what we're going it's for. It's already hard enough to garden. And then with the misinformation. Yeah. And we've, and because I've had people come in and say, why is it not working? I've done this, this, and this. I've read I'm supposed to do this. I had somebody tell me that. And I'm like, well, you're, don't feel bad because you're a good gardener. These are just not the proper things to do. And they were so convinced that was it. And still so many people putting it out on the Internet that it's the right thing to do. I even mm-hmm. saw a TV show the other day where a lady said she always puts her, her coffee grounds in her plants. You know, And it's, uh, well, that's fine if you want to do it. Right. But it isn't helping. It's more hurting than anything else. It was the fertilizer she was giving them that was helping, yeah, not the coffee you know, grounds. All the free nitrogen that would really be a benefit to that plant, mm-hmm. you drank it. Yeah, it's <laughs> gone in the form of coffee. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? That is true. Jim, there's this uh, a tree, I guess, disease. No, uh-huh, it would be a disease called mm-hmm. slime flux. Right. And you made a comment early in the show that you were going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that we really need to be concerned about, or is it something we need to have an eye out for, or is it just we need to be aware that there is? A problem out there called slime flux. That's pretty much it, because it's not really a problem, okay? Uh, slime flux... <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about two things here. Slime flux first. That's a bacterial infection of the heartwood of the tree. It uh, it And the bacteria that causes is just a common soil bacteria. I mean, it's not... not Nothing really exotic, yeah. But when it gets in that heartwood, it feeds on that sappy stuff and eventually starts to ferment. Okay, when it's in the process of fermentation, it releases carbon dioxide gas. Well, that gas is trapped inside there, so then it starts building up, and eventually it pushes itself out, either through wounds or through the crotches of trees. Yeah, uh, and you see this black stain that typically runs down the side. So it's pushing of the tree. it out through the weak points of the that, tree, and that would be a like you said, a crack or that's a crotch. right, okay. right. So it's really not harming the tree. Like I was telling you earlier, they say that if you walk into any woods, about 70% of the trees are infected to some extent. It can sometimes Lord. cure itself and go away. It's brought on primarily by stress. Drought stress is one of the biggest things because in drought stress, you actually have roots die. Mm. Okay, even if, they're, if they're drought stress, even though you may not notice it, you've got roots dying. And that's an entry point for that bacteria because mm. it's in the soil. Um, if you hit your lawnmower and run over the roots and scrape the top off of right. it, that's an entry point for it to get in. So, uh, you know, and you get that sappy stuff that just runs down the tree, looks black, sometimes gray, depending on the color of your tree. It doesn't have an odor also, Jim. This one doesn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Remarkably, it doesn't have much of an odor, okay? Now, there's another disease called alcoholic flux 
It is just the infection of the sapwood right underneath the bark and the bark. That can't be good. Right. That one is called alcoholic flux, and that's the one that stinks to high mm. heaven. It actually foams when it comes out of the tree. So it's still a bacterium. It's, it's and, and often the same bacterium, but it's affecting a different part of the tree. Uh-huh. So that is alcoholic flux. What do you need to do about them? Well, nothing really. Okay. You can use, they recommend one point. One point, one part, All one part, uh, Clorox bleach to 15 parts of water. If you want to wash the stuff off the tree, don't power wash it yeah. because that's going to, it's going to cause another point of entry. Yeah. Okay. It d- actually damages the bark. So you can wash that off, but it, sometimes it. Doesn't it draw like flies and it, insects yes. and it's just this it's nasty. On, on the alcoholic one, it does. So you'll see insects on there. But don't need to do anything to it. Years ago, and for almost forever, we told people that what you could do is get down low on the tree, mm-hmm. drive a little, uh, drill up in it, drive a little pipe in there so that it relieves the pressure and the stuff would come out the pipe and drip on the ground away from the tree. Right. But what they found is it actually does more damage doing that when yeah. somebody got around to researching yeah. it because... And this is a hard word for me to say, but when a tree gets injured, it compartmentalizes (laughs) (laughs) around that and fixes it. And it can't do that with a pipe. So it's actually another point of entry for the disease. Gotcha. Uh, So now we recommend just leave it alone. Okay, don't do anything. Now, what can happen is it can cause other things to happen, particularly if you've got holes in the trunk. It's It's a place where other diseases that are also soil-borne bacteria can get in there and cause heartwood rots and cause it to hollow out. Uh, and so mm. that's, you know, it can catch water, which is not a good thing. So in the case of it catching water, that's, I usually still recommend that you put a pipe in there because I think the risk mm. of the pipe is less than the risk yeah. of the water. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that you can drain that out. Um, See, but, I really thought that slime flux or alcohol flux, Jim, and I, I guess because I've seen what I thought was slime flux mm-hmm. is really alcohol flux. I've alcohol seen the, flux if it has the yeah. foam yes. and the nasty smell. But I thought they were just really bad, bad, bad no, for trees. They're not. They're they're really yeah. not doing any significant damage to the tree. Uh, but it is an indication that that tree is stressed. Under, yes, and something else may be going on, and that's the one reason you want to have. If it's really bad on a tree, I'd have an arborist come out and take a look at your tree. It could be very hollow and be in a dangerous position of falling. Right, right. But, you know, as we said, here, any tree, because we have such shallow-rooted trees, any tree with 100-mile-an-hour winds or plus is in danger of falling if the soil is saturated. So you just want to, you know, basically don't do anything. You can clean it up if you want. But hopefully it will just go away on its own. That is good to well, know. Let's, let's take a break real quick, and then, Jim, I want to ask about, or I'm asking now, hydrogen peroxide on the wound. We'll okay. be right back. All right. Yep. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening, 901-260-5926, or uh, leave a question on our Facebook page. Mighty 990 Facebook yes. page, Mid-South Gardening. KWAM, yep. 990 AM, and slime flux mold, alcohol mold, and hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, you can use hydrogen hydrogen peroxide mm-hmm. to uh, to clean it also. Disinfect. But you're yeah. saying also, Jim, if you do have a tree that has alcohol flux or slime flux, 
Uh, and if you're making cuttings on limbs or whatever, you do want to disinfect the cutters saw also. or the cutters between cuts. Yeah, because the disease is in that wood, you know, either the the hardwood or the uh, sapwood right underneath the bark. And uh, so if you cut something and then go to cut another tree, you can spread it to it. Now, it, it has trees that it prefers. It likes oaks. It hits maples sometimes. Uh, um, so, mm. you know, it's, it's not an... Equal opportunity employer. So like, <laughs> like I saw a beautiful, beautiful oak tree, and then I watched them plant azaleas all around the oak tree. I don't and like that look. Three, I know, three years later, I noticed the slime flux mm-hmm, coming yeah. out of the oak tree. So I was thinking they stressed the tree by building the bed. I well, don't mind even so much as, as cutting through a root yeah. in the process mm-hmm. of digging yeah. would have done. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now the the client that I had told them to, you know, clean the tree up. If there's any bad bark, you know, take that out. Right. Use the hydrogen peroxide. But at that time, I did not know about alcohol flux, so I didn't know it would be smelly. So I'm sure when they went home to do this, they were like, "Are you sure?" No, it's nasty sure. smelling. Yeah, they're probably like, "Nah, we'll just leave it." It was on a cherry tree, though, but it wasn't. Yeah, for. yeah it, it particularly likes apples and mm-hmm. fruit trees. That's another biggie for yeah. it. And Is it, that to be confused slime flux with the what we call dog vomit in flower beds? That no, is slime mold. That's slime a slime mold yeah. that you see growing on a bed or Different on the mulch. Yeah. Uh, but talking about azaleas around trees, I surely don't mind azaleas being planted under trees. They're beautiful mm-hmm. shrubs, you know, for shaded environments. But it's like every time I look at a house that was built back in the 50s, and you've got this oak <laughs> yes. tree, you know, this, this, and you've got these azaleas just ringing right around the trunk uh-huh. of that tree. And I'm like, uh-uh. Where they had planted them far out from the tree when the tree was too Well, inches. not far out. Not far out enough. enough. Yeah, but it looked good because the tree's like two inches caliper. And so they pull it out, plant the azaleas, and then when tree grows into the it azaleas. just I mean, I've seen it, and I saw it just, just the other day uh, on the way home. I'm like, that's just not a good look, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I don't mind creating a bed, like you said, Veda, up under the tree and planting azaleas and hostas and ferns. But these things just ringing right around the trunk. And it was like on, it was like four oak trees in this side yard. Yeah. And every oak tree had these old, tired, thin-looking mm. azaleas just right around the <laughs> trunk of it. And I'm like, man, y'all need to do something it's with that. Safe. I went to look at some azaleas that were going downhill that were like that, wrapped around an oak tree. And when I got over there, I mean, they really were struggling. And oh, yeah. she's having fertilizer, <laughs> and, and they just don't seem to respond. So I got down on the ground there, and I could put my hand up underneath the roots uh, of the tree voles had tunneled oh, yeah. all through there and basically these things were floating in the air yes. attached to the tree oh my word that's <laughs> yes. hilarious you, you could stick your arm up wow. as far as your elbow up underneath there oh voles so. they are so destructive i'm telling you and uh, that's not a mole but a vole we're talking about they actually eat the roots off of these plants um one of the things i wrote down last night y'all was um it's a good time to lime this time of year you know, so many times we'll wait until spring or even early summer mm-hmm. uh, before we, ever, you know, if you ever have a soil test analysis run, one of the things they're going to check is the pH of your soil. And a lot of times, like I said, we'll wait till spring, put the lime down, knowing it's going to take two to three months for it to really break down and alter the pH. So my point, reason I'm bringing this up now, unless you're using like fast lime, which I think is a really good, good, good thing to do. 
if you are using just old-fashioned pelletized lime, because it does take a while for that lime to break down and alter the pH, fall is a wonderful time to do it. I don't care if it's a vegetable garden or if it's your lawn or anywhere else you need lime, because what you put down now has time to break down and alter the pH for the growing season next year. Good point. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, guys, if you uh, if you haven't ever had your pH checked, there again, whether it's your lawn or whether it's your vegetable garden, uh, this is a good time of year to do it. If you need to put that lime down, go ahead and do it. But like I said, thank goodness there is a new technology called Fast Lime, which is a granulated lime also that you can put down. And instead of taking months for it to break down and alter your pH, it actually does it in weeks. That's just amazing you that know, it can happen in weeks because it took months before. I have read some articles where if you use fast lime, it, it definitely works and it breaks. You know, it breaks down and it, it changes, alters the pH within weeks instead of months. Uh, that it just doesn't last as long. And I'm thinking, well, hang on. Once you get the pH changed, you know, how could it not last as long as any other, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lime? Because there's it depends on the buffering factor of the soil. Could be. Yeah, and it would depend on the the particle size and how porous your soil is. Um, but that could be different in every line. It could, yeah, yeah. And so, but you know, pH isn't. It's not rocket science. Okay. Yeah. When we're trying to get something, you know, like a vegetable garden, we want it up in the, you know, between six and seven. That's right. And and if you're off a quarter point, that that's okay. Exactly. And same thing with your lawn. Right. You know. You know, as long as it's up there around six point five, and if you're doing azaleas and hollies around five point five. Right. And if you're doing blueberries, four point five to five. You know, as long as you're getting close to that, the plants plants are pretty tolerant. That's you exactly know, right. Things like hydrangeas, they'll grow from four and a half up to seven and a half, you know, and change its color in the process. Yeah. Uh, but most plants are fairly tolerant of a, a wide range. But to get optimum growth, yeah. you have a target that you want to get after. Yeah. Uh, so if I want my hydrangeas, okay, so they would naturally be blue normally here they're naturally blue now again it depends on where you are if Mm -hmm. if you're out in um say eads or someplace like that where you've had a lot of farmland that's been Mm -hmm. through the years limed every single season yeah oh yeah you'll have ph up around six and a half so they tend to be on the pink side so if i wanted it pink and I put down like regular lime. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then how long will it take for me to get a pink bloom? We I mean, talk, it's not like a, a month, is it? Well, you'll see some change fairly quickly, but mm-hmm. it's going to, if you're using pelletized lime, six months or so to get mm-hmm. the pH probably to where it is. So Unless you start using it, some fast lime. Yeah, now fast lime, you're going you're gonna to get quicker results. So yeah. if I do this now, then by next season, I would have... You would have your yeah. pink flowers. And yeah. then oh, always remember, it's easier to turn the hydrangea blooms from blue to pink than it is from pink to blue. Really? Yeah. Because it seems like it would be opposite here since we're already acidic. No, it's easier to, to make it more alkaline, to and go to, to the pink it, bloom than mm-hmm. it is to go to the blue bloom, which is crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know what I wonder is why is tamales Tamales? Yeah, why are tamales uh, called or pronounced tamales and females aren't called famales? You know, tamales and famales. Yeah, tamales. 
female is spelled the same. Would you mind checking that coffee cup <laughs> right there and see what's in that? I've wondered. You see the spelling. Tamales are, are called tamales. T. They're T-A- spelled differently. T-A-M-A-L-E-S. No, Females, it's F-E. T-A-M-E-L-E. Tamales. T-A-M. That's tamales. Okay. Female is F-E-M-A-L-E-S. Female. Right. So it's Famali. <laughs> God, she has lost <laughs> her mind. I'm this used you. to be a gardening program. Right. Yeah. It, it, what you say? It used I to be a gym. Wonder, just wondering. Well, I'm, you know, we're, um, y'all got to help me out on this. You know, back there in that back bed I was telling you about where the armadillos are just eating everything up. Uh-huh. Um, the mimosa tree is gone. Okay. And if I don't do another mimosa tree back in that bed, uh, I need, you know, I wrote down dogwoods and red mm-hmm. buds because this is still yeah. somewhat of a shaded environment because it's back there by the woods. Um, yeah, I just can't. Chinese fringe trees. Yeah, I know, but I Chase I'm, Vitex. Yeah, but I want What's, a, I want a real tree. Nobel. Uh, yeah. A real tree. Yeah, I mean, in it's like so, an oak. No, no, oh, no, the no. tulip poplar. No. <laughs> just <laughs> no. transplant it. <laughs> but just, uh, I'm thinking maybe either, you know. I'd do a Kusa dogwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would you, why'd you say Kusa, Jim? Well, I mean, you've got flowers after the foliage comes out, and I think that's really pretty. Um, Grows a little bit more upright. Yeah, tolerates a little more sun. Has um, the beautiful fruit on it in the fall. Yeah. Uh, that cornice moss would be a good choice. Mm-hmm. Really, really heavy red barrier. Uh, I, w- I would do one of those before I would do just the plain native red bud, yeah. dogwood or red bud. Okay. Yeah. Red buds, for me, have always tended to be short-lived trees, around 40 years or so. Yeah. Uh, Plenty of long enough for me, but... Yeah, <laughs> but they're... And and they just they tend to have some issues. Yeah, there are some hybrid dogwoods like you know Cloud Nine and some of those that have that big bloom uh-huh. too. Which Cloud are, Nine, I mean, you can have one three feet tall and have fifty blooms. Yeah, on I it. know it. It's, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful dogwood. So I'm yeah. like you, Jim. I think I'm gonna go more invade more yeah. to a dogwood than I would say a red bud. Mm-hmm. Now we have the cornice moss in stock all summer. We had it, and I put one just smack dab in the hottest. Position it did could fine. be in, did fine. Mm-hmm. That's one thing about the kusa, the Korean type dogwoods, is they can take a lot more sun mm-hmm. typically than the Floridians can. You know, yeah. but so that, but that your, cloud nine is a beautiful hybrid. Is. Yes, get, get yourself one of each, you know, like three, and put them in the same hole together. Yeah. Ooh, wouldn't that be cool? Have a multi trunk tree, and you'd have flowers for an extended period of time. So you would dig a big round hole. Mm-hmm. Stick them all in there. Cut the roots up. That would be. And it cool. would just look like a multi-trunk tree. You got to do that. You're killing me, Jim. You know, from the house, you want to plant it so that you. It looks like they're closer together. Plant them. Yeah. Front to back. I can uh, do that. Love it. All right, y'all. Nine zero one two six zero five nine two six. We will be back. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We want to uh, thank our sponsor, uh, Palladio Home and Garden, for uh, getting behind this program. We appreciate it, Veda. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We also want to appreciate our um, partners in this, uh, one of which is a longtime friend of mine and the show, uh, and, and that's um, Herbie Systems. 
Yeah. So um, these two people here are going to tell you about them. Yeah, and I always like to say, Veda, if you're living in Arlington, which a lot of people do, Atoka, Bartlett, Collierville, Germantown, Lakeland, Millington, or even Mumford, Oakford, uh, or Somerville. And like I said, that kind of covers all bases, yeah, guys. The whole Mid-South. Yeah, what kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? Fire ants, maybe? Weeds, probably? Brown spots? Bare spots? Of where, course, yes, yes. Well, our Let Me Kill Your Weeds guys at Herbie Systems can solve all of those problems. They're not out there just killing weeds, okay? They can kill the ants also. Remember the caller we got mm-hmm. about the ants? Yeah. She didn't want to do it. She could call Herbie Systems. They'll be glad to do it for her. So they solve a lot of different problems, guys. They've been making our Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 39 years. And the cool thing is they're locally owned, so that means they're really familiar what's going on here. They don't, like, have to go to a manual that was printed somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) It's locally owned, in which we have a team. They have a team that maintains over 11,000 customers. Yeah, and they maintain your trees and shrubs also. They're not just lawn guys, which they're experts at, but they're also experts at your trees and shrubs, taking care of all of those also. They do the whole thing, y'all. They are the, the big, they're the true package. Maintaining your lawn can be a complicated process, whether you are dealing with insects or need to irrigate your soil. Herbie Systems has your back. So for a free quote, tell them you heard about Herbie Systems on the Garden Show or just say KWAM. Yeah, your uh, best lawn care program in Memphis has never sounded so good. Let me cure your weeds. Like I said, give them a call, 390-9898. That's 390-9898, and that's Let Me Kill Your Weeds Guys at Herbie Systems. All right. So some pretty things to plant together. How about for a shade garden? For a shade garden. I'm liking the Aurelia with the cast iron plant with the uh, Japanese sedge and mm-hmm. the Carex. So far, they're all evergreen. Different layers of plants, different textures of green. Uh, how about a coral bark tree planted in the vicinity? The maple. Yeah, the maple. That gives you the red coral bark. And, of course, you're going to have to have some hostas. Do you have the Jurassic hosta, Jim? Yes, I do. I have Jurassic Park. I have Komodo Dragon. I have all these with the cool names. Humpback Whale. (laughs) 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 And some of these hostas are absolutely beautiful with these big leaves. I also have the Daylily French lingerie because I just couldn't live without (laughs) it. (laughs) I love it. Honey, this one's for you. Yeah, yeah. And then throw a painted fern in there, too. Well, Veda, I've always said that you can really have, and I know it's more challenging, but you can have just as pretty shade gardens as you can gardens out there in full sun. It is. Now, you got to be a little more selective, but I'm telling you, I've seen some really beautiful shade gardens before, mm-hmm. planted with a lot of things that you just mentioned. Because yeah. it is hard to get diverse on it sometimes. And, you know, I noticed, though, the Japanese painted fern tends to need a lot more water than the uh, autumn fern, <laughs> Christmas <laughs> fern. <laughs> And I've always had a little bit of trouble getting the painted fern right. Like um, at this one place, I see it growing beautifully, but it's a place where the water drips all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're just growing gorgeous. If they get a smidge dry, it seems. So when you would plant that, you'd have to be careful not to plant it with something like Helleborus because they like dry shade. Mm-hmm. But would they take that amount of water a fern would take, I wonder? Well, you've got good drainage. Yeah, if they're draining well, probably. Yeah, I've yeah. got I've got them fairly close to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a a ghost fern and a Japanese yeah. painted, and I get some that are apparently crosses between the right. two. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it, they come, like you said, they come up where the water drips off the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right there where it's starting to run around to the backyard. That's where you see all the little babies come up. Um, yeah, so they, they like that moisture more. Yeah. So put that in there in your um, your shade landscape. For sun, let's go with a white. This is going to be a white garden. The mock orange. No, oh, be- love it. And yeah. I think that's one of the most underplanted shrubs, mm-hmm. period, on the market. Yeah. The pearl blooms. bush. Yeah. The Dutzian or yeah. the pearl. Uh, pearl Chardonnay. Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. I didn't even think about that one. Uh, gardenia. Mm-hmm. You know, throw a gardenia. White hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. You could do those with. That would give you an all white garden. White agapanthus. Yeah, when but, you say white hydrangea for a sunny area, you're talking about the paniculata varieties. Or, I mean, yeah, yeah, the picking, the PGs. Whether it's the you know the yeah. bobos, the little limes, the line lights. Not yeah. there's one called white wedding, and even one oh, called uh, Fuji waterfall, which are your old fashioned. Oh. Big leafed hydrangeas that really need to go in more shade. I have one that's very trail, and it's it trails. I mm-hmm. mean, it doesn't weep. It, yeah. it trails, but it's gorgeous in containers. A little different bloom you know, look. The, yeah, the foliage is really good and green, a little glossy. It just has no issue. And that was for a little bit more shade. Yeah, yeah. fairy tale. Yeah. yeah, speaking of white hydrangeas, now you could still do this in a half sun, half shade location. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we get so intense when it says shade that we're thinking it means shade the entire day. But like bright li- or highlight means you can get sun in the morning and sun in the afternoon. So there's little, there's so many different levels of shade, you know. <laughs> yes. And sun. And we tend to just put it in two categories. Oh, that takes full sun. And we're thinking that's all day. Oh, that takes full shade. Right. We're thinking that's all day. But there's so many different levels. What does full sun really mean? What? You know, full sun is six hours, right? Yeah, I'd say eight, really. But yeah, you can sneak by with eight. eight. I mean, yeah. you know, it's you still got five or six hours of of light. Well, yeah. but but you're right. But if you have a, a shrub, let's say in this case, and it says plant in full sun, if it gets at least six hours of sun, it's still going to do fine. It's going to live, yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah. And I think uh, maybe on six hours of sun, you might get a few less blooms. Eight hours, you would get more more blooms, but you know, maybe if you could, only place you could have a hydrangea was right there and only going to get three blooms off of it, it, to me, it'd still be worth it for those blooms. Well, and then you mentioned shade. A lot of people come in, especially when they're trying to grow grass, and they'll say, hey, I'm trying to grow grass in the shade. And the first thing you have to ask them is, oh, okay, you said shade, but mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Yeah. Is this deep shade? Is it high shade? Is it filtered mm-hmm. sun, mottled sun? Is it under a magnolia? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just forget about it. <laughs> but, but you're right. When people say that, they know what they are thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, but shade can mean so many different things, though. Oh man, we've got this really pretty woodland flocks. I wish I could tell you the name of it. I can't right now. But that's also a great shade thing, and it's got blue flowers. But this time, this woodland flocks's foliage is really nice now this is a low growing yeah this is almost like a spreading ground cover Yeah, like we always use in the shade type um that's a good one to look for too and y'all can be doing this now oh i've been i've been going through catalogs i'm getting a couple a week you know and sit there and go through and look at new varieties and Mm -hmm. i think you know you know and put a little star Uh, right there we may come back and look at this one yeah (laughs) oh man we're trying to order for garden centers like y'all know there's so much it can almost get overwhelming 
how much. And then when you see all the new things coming out and you want it right now, but we see them come out in the catalog, but then it takes like magazines a couple of years before we even get. Sometimes them. it does. You're exactly. By the, I mean, you're right. We'll see this new introduction, and it sounds great, and you want it right mm-hmm. then. And that could be true with an annual, a perennial, a tree, or a shrub. Any of those. I'm telling you, you see these new introductions, and they might be available one or two places here in the United States or in the South. But it's many, it's usually years down the road before you can really Enough get your hands on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this one is a, a, one, a question to ask, which I've heard the answer, but I'm not totally sure. Sometimes, or most of the times, new plants cost a lot more because we have to pay the patent off. Before well, they drop the price? No. Well, the patent runs for 17 years on 17. plants. 17? Yeah, runs Ooh. for 17 years. And usually it depends on the plant, but it's normally a nickel a plant, quarter a plant, something mm-hmm. like that. But we're on new varieties, what's really running the cost up now is so many of them are in marketing groups, proven winners. Mm-hmm. Um, Southern Living. Southern Living and all of these things. Right. So what they're doing is they're raising the price to the retailer, okay? He's having to pay a lot more. Normally, you have to put it in their pot, or yeah. you, so right. that pot costs more. Right. Uh, and so you, they're running the cost up to the retailer. The retailer then has to recoup that, so yeah. he has to ha- sell it for a higher price. You know, then, and, and a lot of times these are plants that have been on the market prior, Yeah. you yeah. know, when they were cheap. So you it know, doesn't really have much to do with the you know, patent. And like we said, they yeah. have their police that goes out and check. You yeah. know, I, We had the case out at Highway 64 where I had purchased some um, Empress Wu hostas mm-hmm. when they be- really became first available. They were not proven winners at that time. And so I had them potted up, sure. you know, like 50 of them out there. And, and then a black and, nursery pot. And their policeman came by, and he was quite upset, yeah. you know. I mean, they're talking about you can't, if you violate these rules, you mm-hmm. can't buy anything from proven winners. Right. Yeah, you but, but you had bought these before they ever right. yeah. went to proven winners. That's, yeah. that's right. like Monrovia. They don't want you to pot anything up in their pot because yeah. they didn't grow it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. And, so, and you're right. There are, they, it's told to you, don't. All these you little cannot. bylaws. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so basically when you're paying for plants now, we're paying for the great cool bucket. We're paying for the really cool tag. Yeah. And, and if we're you, paying for the monstrous advertising. Let's say them. you're in nursery there and you see a uh, Encore Zaya, mm-hmm. but it's got a limb on it with a different set of colors. Yeah. <laughs> The retailer does not own that. It right. belongs to proven winners. Really? I did not know right. that. You cannot remove it you can, and propagate it. That mm-hmm. technically you belongs to You can remove it, them. but you can't remove it and propagate and it for propagate. your own personal gain. Right. It has to, and even for no gain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So, so I get, do you call proven winners and go, hey, I got a new. No, you keep your mouth shut and then <laughs> grow that sucker. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. (laughs) All right, y'all, we better go to a break. And Thomas from Bartlett, hang on, because we'll totally get to you after the break. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to Thomas calling from Bartlett with his wonderful squirrels. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, guys. Good to talk to you again, as always. You too. I'm glad glad. Glad the heat's broke down enough to where we can go outside again. Good Lord. I've never, I'm not tell you what, the older I get, Thomas, I just can't take 120 degrees anymore. 
Well, yeah, I couldn't I do that when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty hot. And I'm sorry that Veda said uh, Thomas from Barlett talking about his wonderful squirrels. She did say the wonderful that. Squirrels. I don't mind the squirrels as much as I did the aphids. So if you remember, last year I had a, a burr oak tree on the side of the driveway that we absolutely love, and it was infested with aphids. Yeah. Well, y'all, remeca, uh, y'all recommended a drench, and this mm-hmm. drench has worked wonderfully. It worked yeah. great for the crepe myrtle. worked great for the oak tree. I've been telling everybody about this drench yeah. um my boss Saul Choate who's a huge UT Vol fan for some reason he's <laughs> even taken to the drench and so he knows what to do anyway, for some reason yeah <laughs> <laughs> this year this is the University of Memphis town but right. so this year I have noticed a tremendous influx of squirrels on this oak tree so <clears throat> I'm wondering if there's some sort of correlation between no aphids a healthier tree maybe and the squirrels, and the best I can come up with is the squirrels don't like the stickiness mm-hmm. that the aphids leave behind, so they avoided the tree. That's kind of what I was thinking. I don't think so. Yeah, um, I, I, that's a good theory, but I think, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Jim. I just think it's just, uh, you know, the the luck of the draw, Thomas. It's a bumper crop year for because of that freeze last year. We're going to have really heavy production of acorns. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And now, my second part of this question is, do you think I will need to redrench um, this year or going into next year? Yeah, you know, when you put the drench around the trunk of the tree, Thomas, you know, it's going to last for at least one growing season a year. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times, even up to two years. Uh, you can surely be proactive and go ahead and do it because, it, you know, technically it's going to last a year. But we've seen residuals more than that. Or just keep your eyes peeled. If you start seeing any kind of infestation, you know, again, uh, of course, you can do it at that time. Now, the problem is if you wait till you see an infestation and you pour the drench around the tree, it does take it a while to get moved through the whole part of the tree, especially if it's a big oak tree. So um, being proactive, you would go ahead and do it. I would. You know, if if not, just keep your eyes peeled, knowing that you can do it when you do have a problem. It just takes longer to fix the problem. Well, great. I appreciate you guys taking my call, and y'all have a great rest of the weekend. Thomas, hey, always, for Thomas. Now, I, I still feel like it's the sticky aphids that the squirrels didn't like. They get come off, and all these leaves are stuck to their paws. And My thing is, is I'm going to go with that. You know, I mean, it's not a whole lot, especially if we live in the city limits, and Thomas is in Bartlett, in the Bartlett city limits. And, you know, squirrels, you know, other than gnawing off some of the tree limblets mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you see the ground just littered yeah. where they've gnawed the little limb off because now they're thirsty well that, are they trying to get moisture from limbs but, i've heard that before. but that's about the only damage that i see squirrels yeah. doing to a tree now the reason i don't like them is the damage they do everywhere else you know digging up stuff out of your flower parts gnawing a hole in the corner of your roof or whatever i don't like the little bushy-tailed yeah. rats to be honest with you but uh, as far as being up in a tree like that, they're not going to really do anything to that tree. And I would say, like, don't remove every solitary acorn from your yard, so that way maybe they'll eat the acorns and not the bird feed. And, Jim, you made a comment uh, about having a heavy acorn uh, uh, population, population yeah. uh, this year. Up there again, in Gatlinburg on the ski lift, we're above some of these oak trees and looking down on them. I'm telling you guys, acorns, I'm huge ones on some of these oak trees. I mean, just loaded, loaded, Jim, mm-hmm. loaded. 
Mm-hmm. So I agree with what you're saying. I think it's going to be a big old acorn fall, which yeah. people will have acorns growing next year, right. remember, in their beds yes. or up under their oak tree. Just, mm-hmm. Y'all pull them quickly because it's so much easier and satisfying. Or to, just keep them cut yeah. in the lawn. You or, know, if they're under, in a lawn yeah, area, a lot of times you just keep them mow, cut. But they get in that bed and you let them get away from you. And you let them start getting a little root on there, mm-hmm. they're hard to get up then. That's right. And you want to keep squirrels out of the beds. One of the best things to do is put some leaves down and go get you a can of spray pelletizing adhesive and just spray the top <laughs> of the leaves with it. And the squirrels get in and they get stuck to their feet. And, yeah. You know, works for the neighbor's <laughs> right. cat too. And yeah. Really upsets the cat and really upsets the yeah. neighbors. <laughs> That's why I'm thinking maybe those squirrels didn't like the aphid leaves. <laughs> oh, that is pretty funny. I've never heard I of that. Know. You see those cats out there it. shaking one foot and that one foot here. so fun and entertaining. <laughs> Jim has got this it. stuff figured I'm out. I'm going to do it for the entertainment. And this is also... going to be really funny. <laughs> they did the same person that actually put like a little shock collar on his uh, hummingbird feeder. Or his bird feeder. Bird feeder, yeah. Okay, not the bird. The bird feeder. The yeah. shock. Oh, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Jim. So he Jim. rigged up this homemade little thing where if here comes Mr. Squirrel and he touches the bird feeder, mm-hmm. well, he gets us out. Yeah. You know? And that's because the squirrel's got a wider range to touch right. both at the same time. Where the squ- birds the could not touch both at right. the same yeah, time. So he figured it out. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is her thinking. You're just zapping. So don't, um, don't mm. acorns or trees that do acorns and all that, don't they have like every Most so have many a sequence. years? Yeah, well, they'll yeah. produce heavier crops like every other year mm-hmm. but it depends also on the tree like i said i've got a water um a water oak in the front yard uh that was you know very small when we moved in but it had already been hit by lightning uh it has a split that you it starts at the bottom and runs as far up into the tree as you can see good lord uh and it produces a bumper crop every single year <laughs> because thing, it's thinking it's dying and that's it's right. Repopulate. right something yeah. is stressed because so of that. every year every huh. year i mean it looks like marbles all out on the sidewalk and it's really heavy that is dangerous on the sidewalk yeah. though the acorns are yeah. for red sure. oak on the other side of the yard same size you know it produces a good crop about every other year but thomas yeah. made a good point a while ago about the tree and shrub drench you know a lot of times we use it around crepe myrtles for crepe myrtle bark scale and that's why we sell most of it but you can use it around, you know, any other tree or shrub as far as that goes for other types of insects. And in this case, it was aphids. So yeah. and really I good product. Keeps imp- your head sprayed. Can't impress enough about putting it down at the right time. I'm seeing a lot of information out there on the Internet and a lot of professionals saying you don't put it down until it leafs out. And that's mm-hmm. wrong. You need to get it down in January when the ground's either not frozen or not saturated because... Once we start getting these fluctuations of nighttime temperatures below freezing and daytime temperatures above freezing, that's what starts the sap moving upward, and Mm -hmm. it carries that chemical with it. And that sap's got to get all the way to the end of the branches to to be able to feed that bud to break open. So you want to put that chemical down early. Now, it's not the only time you can do it. That's no, just the, that's the optimum time. Right. Now, if you're trying to kill grubs, you want to put it down in May. Okay, that's different. Okay, mm-hmm. but if you're trying to treat trees, it's it really critical t- to get it down early in the January year. and February. You know, so in fact, if we do it now, what is it? You Not could do much. it now. It's there, okay, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's going to be diluted down some just yeah. from rainfall and that sort of thing. But, I mean, you could actually do it now, and it would be there next year. Yeah. 
Um, and it's just better. It's better, more efficient. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh. You don't want it. You don't want the rains to dilute any of it that you put down in the fall. Right. Even though they used to have a fall recommendation well, on yeah, it, and yeah. then next thing you know, it wasn't on there anymore. Well, shucks, that was fun. <laughs> and it's it over. It's over. We will see you next weekend in the Mid South Garden.